Hello, it's 9th December 2016 and this is episode 10 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So, Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? Uh, it's been mostly good because I'm mm-hmm. just really looking forward to Rogue One now. Yeah, so close. Yeah. Uh, the... <laughs> I was talking to you about this earlier. This whole Felicity Jones debunking the Ray Erso theory. Yes. Uh, I think she did it on MTV. It was like a little spot they did with them. Yeah. Um, I, I'm having a hard time with it. Not because it's a theory that I subscribe to. Mm. Um, for those who don't know there are some people out there who have been theorizing that Jin could be Ray's mum and there's been kind of hints that that isn't the case but Felicity came out and actually said flat out that that's that's not true Mm. Um, but the way it was done kind of rubbed me up the wrong way yeah like I I saw it um, like like and it like it's it's kind of difficult because I see that video and I kind of see it on two levels. I see it as an actress who's really annoyed and and I think kind of understandably annoyed about like being perceived as only significant if she's related to a pre-existing character in Star Wars. Right. And I completely understand why that would be frustrating and annoying for you as an actress. But at, at the same time, I do think there's a bit of an issue of like the higher ups at Lucasfilm, like the people who are actually responsible for casting, like Felicity and Daisy, and now Amelia Clark. I do think there's like a real lack of self awareness there in terms of failing to understand why people point out that Star Wars really has like a habit now of casting women who are all in the same like mold, so white, exactly. brunette, British. Like, and yeah, it just seems they really seem to lack self-awareness when they come out with a video like this because this kind of video will have been approved by like her PR agent it won't have just been Felicity saying oh yeah come on let's go and mock those silly fans who think I'm Ray's mum ha 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 oh well that's the thing like I'm not holding it against Felicity herself at all because yeah. like you say this is all part of the Rogue One PR train mm. um but to me it just kind of it, like you say, it, it lacks that self-awareness that there is actually this big issue with diversity in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and it just seemed like this um, naive white feminism to be like, oh, yeah, just because we have two white brunette women doesn't mean that they're related. But it's like you, you're basically admitting that there's no in-universe reason for Jin to be white. Mm. So a lot of people were theorizing based on the fact that you had two white female protagonists in a row and that there might be a link between them. Mm. Exactly. And uh, like you say, I I don't think it's completely unreasonable to come up with that theory. Obviously, you and I, we do not believe in the Ray Erso theory. But like you say, it's not like it came out of absolutely nowhere. It's not like Jin Erso was like a tweet twilight or however you pronounce it i'm sorry um twilight uh, thank you <laughs> um yeah it's not like she was someone who clearly could not be raised mother physically speaking they do look similar enough to be mother and daughter you know so it's not like it's completely bizarre or out of left field um and yeah j- just in general i'm not particularly comfortable with like people from the establishment like this mocking fan theories like so overtly it- it's just it doesn't strike me as very nice like you get enough fans tearing each other apart and bullying each other without like the cast as part of the PR train 
coming out with stuff like this, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, it, it just kind of feels a bit unnecessary. Right. Like you say, it's 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 a bit, right? She's playing a part in this video. It's not like Felicity is just speaking as herself. And that for them, I'm sure it's just, oh, we're just poking fun at a fan theory and it shouldn't be taken so seriously. Mm. But I think they're kind of ignoring or they're not even aware of the fact that a lot of fans of colour will... Co- kind of and you know i've seen statements like this i'm not putting words in people's mouths i've seen it online that people are actually kind of upset that it's like a a bit of a slap in the face as to why okay so why isn't there more diversity Mm. like it's it's just oh you're just casting these women who kind of look very similar yeah no no reason not you know not that they i'm not articulating myself right now because i'm actually kind of angry yeah um no no, I, i think it's justifiable to be angry about it and like I, I see this quite a lot from Lucasfilm to be honest. Like when they're faced with things like this, things that make them uncomfortable that they don't really want to like acknowledge or speak about openly, they kind of just get really defensive. Yeah. You know, is like, why are you saying this? Why are you pointing this out? Oh God, you can't tell two different women apart. Oh, you're the, such a sexist. It's not about people thinking they look exactly the same. Yeah. Like that's obviously not what people are saying. Yeah. But they look alike enough for it to be a legitimate fan theory, and I don't know why this one in particular was singled out. Yeah, no, like it, like like I just wish they hadn't done it. It kind of like lends some unnecessary negativity to proceedings. Well, they could have done it, like they could have done it in a neutral way. They could have just said, "Oh, just so you know, don't go into Rogue One thinking that she is related to Rey because she's not." And and they already have done that, I think. Oh, have they? I wasn't sure if that had been done officially. Yeah, like I think Felicity was on Fallon or another one of those like late night talk shows and she like oh no, or well maybe it was um Kelly and Michael, um, like the morning show. Um but yeah, it was one of these American talk shows and I'm pretty sure she just came out and said, I am unrelated to any of the characters from The Force Awakens. Okay. Like like something very unequivocal that made it very clear. And and I think that's enough, you know, like just end it there. Like just don't go on about it. Like, but at the same time, it's tricky because I know people were asking her about it, and it's like, how much control do they have over the questions that get put to them? I just, there's a very easy way for Lucasfilm to get around this. They could just cast more people of color. <laughs> I'm yeah. serious. Or like, yeah. you know, the occasional blonde woman or redhead. Yeah, like exactly. It's... it's not like it's even like about like casting like a black woman or an Asian woman. It's like stop casting freaking white brunette British people. Like it's ridiculous how niche it is. Like, yeah, yeah like it's just unnecessary. Like put a wig on them, anything. <laughs> or like, it's become this almost like a faux accusation of misogyny that oh you can't tell these two women apart. Mm. You must be sexist, and it's like that's nothing to do with it. <laughs> that's actually such a straw man it's yeah. it's actually more about diversity for lots of people yeah and i i really hope that lucasfilm start to understand this yeah no it's, it's really disingenuous on their part i think um and and yeah like it, it kind of makes you think um of how there was a controversy over the remarks Ka- kathleen kennedy made about like women directors and getting more women involved in star wars and some people felt that she wasn't going far enough i I think we spoke about this in the news section last week Mm -hmm. and like i think a few days after that like they came out of like a photo like of all the female executives at lucasfilm like to show like how much female representation there was at a management level yeah and that's really really cool like i think it was something like there's they're more than 50 percent women like at the managerial level in lucasfilm and that's amazing that's great but 
at the same time that being the case doesn't change the fact that there haven't been any female directors in Star Wars. Yeah, like you're saying that they react defensively. Mm. That That is very transparently a reaction to the fan discourse that was going on at the time, right? And it's great to be like, oh, but see, we do hire women. Yeah. You know, that's a good thing. But it doesn't quite address the issue that people were talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And... Yeah, it's just it's just a bit frustrating. They're, they're so close to getting it right a lot of the time, but they always just fall short, if you know what I mean. Um, like, it's my little rant, like, we really do need to move on to news soon, um, is that there's a magazine called Little White Lies here in the UK, which is like a niche film magazine. And basically each issue spotlights a different film. And the latest issue is the Rogue One issue. And it's actually quite funny because Little White Lies, I do like it. It's a good magazine for the most part, but it's actually quite snobby. And like you can tell there's almost like an air of elitism to it. The basic thing I want to say about Little White Lies is that they have this kind of faux feminist perspective on Star Wars. Mm. And they essentially sum up how women were treated in the original trilogy with the line that they were scantily clad chattel to be saved by a bluff male protector. For a start, I'm pretty sure there's a big typo there. So I think they mean buff, not bluff. <laughs> yeah. Which is just the wrong word there. It's completely wrong. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, I don't like to nitpick mistakes like that, but that's really blatant. Um, and, and yeah, like, and that is just so, so wrong. You know, they're right. obviously thinking about when Leia wears the metal bikini and Return of the Jedi. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't particularly like that. Like, that clearly was motivated by unwholesome reasons, shall we say. Yeah, but it's, it's also completely reductive to say that Leia, because she was in the bikini, didn't play an important part in that film. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And... Like, the Star Wars itself, I don't think it ever treats the female characters as chattel. You know, never. That is this journalist assigning that word to the woman in the original trilogy because they see a woman in a metal bikini and they think, oh, she's just been objectified. There's nothing to that character beyond her being a sex object. And, right. Like, and there is obviously an air of that because she is Jabba's slave in that scene and she is being sexually objectified by him like, and to an extent by the film itself for that sequence. But that doesn't sum Leia up. She doesn't want to be there. She's not like passive. Like, and the climax of that scene is that she freaking murders Jabba like, mm-hmm. and like kicks his ass. <laughs> kicks his ass. Right. You know? She's being objectified by the villain. So yeah. I'm not really... There's this weird trend right now of like calling things problematic when they're not actually condoned by the narrative itself. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not like Han and Luke are ogling her in the bikini. <laughs> you know, it's not the heroes doing that. It's yeah. not supposed to be something that's encouraged. It's like, oh, this gross hut put her in this bikini. Yeah. Like I would, I would say it's a bit gratuitous. Oh yeah. Like, like, but like you say in in the text itself. It's not like it's like, oh, look at Leia, Christ, she's sexy. Like, that's not what's happening. That's not the point. And, yeah, and, and it also glosses over what she was like for the rest of the trilogy. Like, it's not, that's one moment. Yeah, that is literally the first act of Return of the Jedi. And that is in no way representative of the kind of character Leia is overall and how she's portrayed. Because she is very, very strong and groundbreaking. And 
like and again it's just frustrating because these people when they write these things they're trying to make the point that oh look how far we've come since like the primitive 1980s when women were just toys for men to stare at um Maya was a pretty groundbreaking character. Yeah, exactly. And it ignores that. It's a very like naive view of film history to act like the only strides that have been made in female representation have been made in the last 10 years. Yeah, because uh, the other interesting thing is that they're kind of overlooking the prequels as well. Yeah, exactly. Like Padme was a badass. Yeah. To be fair, they do have another article, like which again is ridiculous because there's just no consistency in this magazine because all the articles are by different people and they thus have different perspectives. But there's another article where it's like the predecessors to Jin and Ray, so like strong women. And it does mention Leia and Padme in that conversation. You mm. know, so then that completely contrasts with this other article where it dismisses like presumably Leia as scantily clad chattel. Yeah. I mean, it's fine to have different points of view presented within the same publication, but I, it is interesting that an editor didn't spot that and think, hmm, maybe this needs to be a bit more consistent. Yeah, you would think so. It's just really striking. Um, but right, we've had a really long time. <laughs> so, so starting off the show with some negativity. <laughs> yeah. So sorry if you were here for news, <laughs> but we're going to move swiftly on to news <laughs> right now. So the first story is that Daisy Ridley, she is doing more promotion for the Eagle Huntress and she has spoken to Time Out London and she has spoken about that famous chestnut, which is the question of Ray's parentage. (laughs) And this is what happened. We asked if it would feel good to get the secret off her chest and her answer startled us. I thought a lot was answered in The Force Awakens, she said. Then, after the screening, I went for a drink with my agent and everyone, and we were all chatting away, and around I said, oh, in their minds, it's not answered at all. Ridley seems happy to keep things ambiguous. I think curiosity is a wonderful thing, she told us, and I do find it quite funny that people keep asking about it. Just yesterday, a guy asked to take a picture with me and went, is Luke your dad? And I was like, chill out, you'll see. So does she think people are going to be surprised when they find out the truth? I'd love to see the look on people's faces, she says, but with answers come more questions, and there's definitely going to be enough to keep people going for another two years. <laughs> Kirsty, what did you make of these remarks? Oh, Daisy must just be so tired of answering these questions. <laughs> yes. She's like, I play a character. The point is not that I am someone's child. The point yeah. is that I am a character. And of course... For the Star Wars fandom, this is totally predictable, but everyone is taking this as confirmation of their own reading. <laughs> yes, it's really funny. And myself included, because yeah, for me, I do think that a lot was answered in The Force Awakens. I think The Force Awakens answered that Rey was not related to Luke or Leia. Yeah. I think that's I think that that's what I came away with from my first reading. Yeah. From the first time I saw the film. So I yeah, I am just like everyone else, I'm taking this as ah, Daisy sees it like I do. Yeah. No, like when I read this interview and she says like a lot is answered in The Force Awakens, for me the thing that I think of is that um, there's that line from Maz where she says, whomever you're waiting for they're never coming back. And earlier in the movie, when she's with BB-8, Ray explains that she's waiting for her family. Yeah. So therefore, put two and two together, Ray's family are never I mean, coming back. So presumably they're dead or they're just assholes and they're never coming back. Yeah, there was an interview 
much earlier in the year. I think it was kind of just when the film had come out. And Daisy said she was getting people saying that she was a solo. Mm. And she said, oh, did you watch the movie? Because obviously I wasn't. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think the film does say that she's not a solo because she spends quite a significant amount of time with Han. She meets Leia. She meets Kylo Ren, who would be her brother. And no one recognises no. her or even hints that they're missing a daughter. And Kylo goes like deep into her mind. So like, yeah. I, you're kind of relying on lots of people being really stupid or really just not caring that much about their child forward slash sister. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just a bit awkward. But on the other hand, um, some people are taking this to mean that she thinks it's really obvious from the film who her parents are, mm. um, not necessarily who they aren't. Yes. Uh, because the major question before the film was, is she related to the original heroes? Yeah. So she thinks the answer was in there in the film. And I'm taking that to mean, no, she is not. Yes. But some people are thinking it means that it's really obvious that she's related to Luke because that's what most people came away with as they're reading. So she's just saying, yes, it's the obvious answer. Yeah, no, no, I saw that. And to me, like, and again, like you say, this is the case of everyone from the different perspectives looking at this and all believing it backs them up, <laughs> which is hilarious, but true. Um, like the impression I get is that Daisy is subtly inferring what we all know which is that joe public like your average viewers they all came off this film and they were pretty sure that ray was luke's daughter yeah. you know she even cites the anecdote of this random fan coming up to her and saying is luke your dad and then like in response to the concept of people actually finding out the truth presumably people who believe she's a skywalker finding out the truth like she says she wants to see their faces you know, and that generally implies that they're going to be in for some kind of shock. You know, that expression, like they're going to be surprised or their expectations are going to be subverted in some way. Like, I don't think she'd be saying that if the Ray Skywalker fans were going to exactly what they're expecting. Like, yeah. I think she is more like, I think this is going to blindside people. And so I really can't wait to see how people react because I think it's going to be quite explosive. It's it's difficult to know, really, because uh, Lucasfilm have obviously decided that they don't want to outright say she's not Luke's daughter. Mm. So they're encouraging that speculation. It's it's not like what they, they did with um, Felicity. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we have a, a year to go. And if it continues to be the prevalent theory, might, maybe they'll actually turn out to say something. I, you know, we, ca we can't know for sure yet. But mm. um, I guess it will depend on how much of a shock they want it to be in the movie itself. Like yeah. if they really do want to take everyone by surprise and do a 180 on them, it's probably in their interests to string people along, although it will make people seriously pissed. Well, that's the thing. Like most people, they came away thinking that she was probably Luke's kid, and they haven't really thought about it much since then. Yes, it's, it's people like us who get really invested in the story and you know perhaps invested in one particular outcome mm. um, that risk being annoyed at what happens. Yeah. Um, no, so I, I, that's I, just kind of the price we have to pay for being ridiculously obsessive fans. <laughs> yeah, no, so I had a reminder of that. Um, so I went to my book club and there was a guy there and like he clearly considers himself a very big stars fan and he was interested in spoilers and stuff. And so he said, oh, can you tell me like what you've been hearing? And I said one spoiler. And then his immediate question was, who are Ray's parents? And like I, I said, we don't know but it seems increasingly unlikely that she's going to be a Skywalker or a Solo. 
And he looked really shocked and said, I was convinced she was going to be Luke's. And, and, and that's so interesting to me because this is like a guy who clearly considers himself like quite a serious fan. You know, he's clearly quite engaged and follows it quite a lot to be aware of the spoilers, at least for The Force Awakens. I, I didn't get the impression he'd been following the Episode 8 stuff. Um, and yet and he was still convinced that she was Luke's daughter. You know, and that shows how powerful that reading and that expectation is. Like, not just for general viewers, but also for people who consider themselves like quite serious Star Wars fans but then maybe not on the level that we are where it's like obscenely ridiculously (laughs) obsessive yeah we're nerds (laughs) um do you know if he'd read Bloodline I'm almost certain he had not right because I think Bloodline partly was written to um let fans who were really really invested in finding out that Mm -hmm. that let them find out that it's unlikely because he was off training his nephew while Ray was on Jakku. Yeah. Um, but they also know that 90% of people won't read that. So they want to keep the mystery alive for those people. Yeah. No, definitely. It's going to be a very different experience for them. I think to what is for us because they won't be reading these books or like that kind of additional material. Yeah. Um, right. You ready to move on? Yeah. Okay, cool. Then we're moving into the episode eight and other stuff category um the first story is a bit of a weird one but i felt it was worth talking about because while we really don't know that much about it it does seem to merit discussion um and basically the initial report on this came from avs forum and it's about a intellectual property filing essentially so very exciting of course (laughs) um but yeah the article reads like this The answer to the title of episode 8 might come from a trademark filing Lucasfilm submitted today to the European Union Intellectual Property Office for Star Wars Forces of Destiny. What lends credence to Forces of Destiny being the name of episode 8 is the lengthy list of goods and services the name is being trademarked for. The list of items is more than 2,000 words long and includes items from staplers to Christmas tree ornaments. And yes, motion picture films is on the list, as well as the usual merchandise like toys and various articles of clothing. The timing of the filing is also important. With episode 8 set for release in about a year, a teaser trailer is expected at any moment, with the December 14th premiere of Rogue One being a likely place to unveil it. For a start, I think they're being very optimistic about when I was gonna say. episode 8 trailer is coming. Yeah, that, that, I don't think that's going to happen, um, just to augment that. Um <sighs> And yeah, this is tricky. I really don't think this is going to be the title of episode eight at this stage. Me neither. Um, Yeah. Like the main reason being that I think if this had come out and they hadn't meant it to, then they would have realized the cat was out of the bag and they would have done something official about it very quickly to take all of the glory away from this obscure website and this obscure trademark filing you know because that's not a sexy way to launch your movie title mm-hmm. so for that reason alone i think it's very unlikely that that's the title um it also sounds like the title to like a mexican telenovela um, <laughs> um like I, I like it i like cheese okay <laughs> but i i just i'm not sure i can realistically see that being the title of episode eight I'd quite it's like really it, cheesy but... <laughs> it's really cheesy it's like it's like Harlequin romance novel level cheesy. Yeah. I think it's like the kind of thing where you expect it to see it on like a book cover and there to be like the hero with like his like shirt torn open and like then the swooning maiden in his arms <laughs> or something. Like, it'd be yeah, really 
I, I don't see why they would have two titles with force in a row. <sighs> yeah, I, I did kind of think that. Um, the, the only thing I thought was they might be going for the whole idea of like a force trilogy. So then, like, if it were Force Awakens, Forces of Destiny, then the third film would have to have Force in the name as well. But I think for practical reasons, there's lots of potential for title confusion. Yeah, exactly. Like, among the general public. Like, so I, was, I was on a train, and the people in front of me, they were referring to, oh, yes, did you see magical creatures and where to find them? <laughs> <laughs> so that might show the general public's, like, grasp of movie titles generally. So if you put out two successive films in a trilogy with both of them with force in the title i think you are going to have very confused people yeah it is interesting how many pieces of merchandise it is being copyrighted for because that's not normal for things like video games I've, I've seen people suggest that this is for a video game but i think it might be a decoy mm. that might just be me being super cynical but uh, like i, I definitely think, think it's re- like it, it is obviously we both agree it's a real trademark filing the yeah. european union intellectual property office is a real thing it's not like this came from reddit or something so yeah like lucasfilm have filed a trademark for star wars forces of destiny the only real question is what is forces of destiny and for the reasons we've explained we don't think it's episode eight but like kirsty says they've also like submitted it like under all sorts of bizarre categories for like random shit like staplers (laughs) and stuff so like i kind of wonder if it might be something like the new disney parks because obviously you know that they're doing like episode eight tie-in stuff so I think if it's for anything, it might be something to do with that. So with like Star Wars Forces of Destiny being like a new like area of the park or a new experience at the park or something like that. Because at Disneyland, they slap like logos on everything. Mm-hmm. So I could realistically see Forces of Destiny souvenir staplers like at Disneyland. You know, <laughs> anything's possible. Um, but yeah, like, did you have any other thoughts on this, Kirsty? Uh, not really. I mean, I know we're all desperate to find out a title and we'd love to see a teaser, but I think we're just going to have to wait. Um, you know, Rogue One's coming out next week, so it's just not the time for them to market episode eight. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So it's like, keep dreaming, honey. Keep dreaming. Yeah. (laughs) And that's (laughs) something to talk about. Yeah, exactly. That's me talking to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. Then to move on, we have more concrete news. And this time it's from Making Star Wars and it's about Supreme Leader Snooky. Um, I'm sorry, I, I just, I, I can't take Snoke seriously as a name, you know, it's, it's so stupid. I like, can't take him seriously, period. <laughs> sorry, he's not so scary. Okay, like, well, well yeah. let's, let's see if this Sorry. change that, don't worry. <laughs> right, okay. So, for Star Wars Episode Eight, it appears, at least in part, The Snoke will not be a character generated in the computer. Instead, he will be a huge puppet, around seven to eight feet tall, taking several people to operate, and a man inside a suit to make him walk. Stylistically, it seems as if Snoke may be CGI generated for the holographic communication scenes, but when he has scenes in Episode 8 next to real flesh-and-blood humans like Kylo Ren, he will be a practical puppet with facial features operated by the crew. In the past, many have wondered if Snoke was someone we had seen on screen before. It seems somewhat unlikely considering his size. His arms alone give off the impression he is not exactly human, as they are unnaturally long and unsettling. His appearance is identical to what we saw in the holograms, but there's apparently a real Snoke in the next instalment of the Skywalker saga, 
We don't know exactly how much screen time Snoke has in episode 8, and that makes it impossible to say whether he's almost always a puppet in the film or CGI. But we do know that the puppet is pretty impressive and appears to be articulated in such a way that it seems that he's more than an elaborate stand-in. And then like it goes on a bit more and it says that like Kylo, Hux and Phasma might meet with Snoke after Starkiller Base is destroyed. And like there's talk about like Ray and Luke paralleling with Snoke and Kylo. Um but I kinda get the impression that's more their speculation than mm. like solid reports on stuff they've heard about. Yeah, because I feel like that would have been part of a separate spoiler if they had firm details on those. Yeah, exactly. And like for I really, really doubt that Phasma is going to get an audience of Snoke. That I, I just, I, I struggle to buy that happening. If that makes sense, like, mm. like for like anal fan reasons, I, I don't think she's senior enough to be granted an audience with the Supreme Leader. <laughs> um, and also, like for me, it's just so dumb that they would be unaware that Phasma just betrayed them all by bringing the shields down. Like I just struggle to believe that no one would be aware that she was. Yeah, what's going to happen with that? About. Yeah, I know. Like she, she should not be a character in the movie. Like if anything, eight should open with her execution. <laughs> like because <laughs> she, she's literally directly responsible for the destruction of Starkiller Base and presumably the loss of millions upon millions of lives, if not billions. Um, <laughs> I know we're getting off topic, but I thought that whole scene was really unconvincing. That she would just be like, "Okay, I'll lower the shields." <laughs> Yes. It's like, uh, yeah, it's okay. like worst soldier ever, and it's yeah. ridiculous. She's meant to be like an elite soldier, and yeah, in the, if you were genuinely in that situation, you would say no, just shoot me, I'd rather die. Well, because didn't I mean? I guess she didn't die, but giving that, allowing them to lower the shields, was kind of risking her own life anyway. <laughs> you know, like oh, you're gonna blow up the base now, and I'm still on it. <laughs> It's so dumb. I know it's just a movie, so whatever. But <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's the kind of thing where you, I think you just need to approach that as like movie logic, and then just move on before you think about it too much because yeah. it just makes no sense. Um, but anyway, the story. <laughs> what do you think about Puppet Snoke? I'm excited about it. I know I said before that I can't take Snoke too seriously, but I honestly wasn't that impressed with him in The Force Awakens. I, you know, the CGI was technically impressive. And I thought Andy Serkis did a good job with the the voice. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if it's because we know like nothing about him, or because he was a hologram, he just didn't seem real enough. So maybe the puppet will kind of go a long way to addressing that. And I much prefer puppet Yoda to CGI Yoda. Yeah. So I'm excited for it. Yeah. No, I think it will be really good. Um, like I'm a big big nerd for the Jim Henson Creature Shop. Yeah. Um, like Labyrinth, Dark Crystal, the storyteller TV series, and the puppets you get in those movies and that show—they're just incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, because you get like great variety, and they're much more like realistic than say like the Muppets are. Um, because you could like buy these creatures as actually being real creatures in the real world. It's, it's obviously like Yoda style, because the creature shop is behind Yoda, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like just that style is really, really striking because it's all tangible and like you get some really grotesque freaky things out of the dimension creature shop <laughs> um so yeah if they're coming up with something really like eerie like especially on that scale like a seven feet tall puppet that is a hell of an undertaking um yeah that makes you really excited um and i think there's real potential for what they can do there yeah kylo ren and hux are both tall men but if they're gonna have this creature towering over them it could be quite menacing yeah 
I think they're probably going to look like little boys. That's <laughs> like, hopefully they'll like come even more bickering and childish because it'd be really funny if like Papa Snoke was like there to knock the heads together. Be like silence, <laughs> go to your rooms. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, on a more serious note, I saw some people suggesting that it would be good if they did kind of what they did with Uncle Plutt, because Uncle Plutt was like a guy, Simon Pegg, actually in a suit, and then they like augmented his face with CGI later, and that yeah. was really seamless to me. Mm-hmm. Like I was completely convinced by Uncle Plutt as a creature. I, I yeah. believed he was like a nasty blobfish man. Like mm-hmm. I never thought, oh, there's a human in that suit. So if they could pull off a similar effect by like combining puppetry with like CGI facial features for Snoke, I I think there's a potential to work really really well. Yeah, same. I think it's um I think I saw Jason Ward say that it's not going to be Andy Serkis actually operating the puppet. Like it's not he's not going to be the man inside. Yeah. Which yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that because I know Andy he's voicing it, but I think a big part of his talent is about embodying the physicality of these creatures and roles that he plays yeah like i i do wonder how he feels about it to be honest because presumably it was sold to him as this character is going to be motion capture and you are going to be in the mocap suits he, he obviously was for force awakens but yeah it's, it's not a great opportunity to showcase your mocap talents because he literally just sits in a chair like i think he once stands up to like make a point <laughs> when like he's particularly annoyed of kylo um but yeah that's like the greatest like extent of his movement mm-hmm. um so yeah it wouldn't surprise me Randy's a bit annoyed to be honest i think i'd be a bit annoyed but it's also a practical thing because like if they are using a puppet obviously being able to operate a puppet is very different from being in a mocap suit. Yeah, so, um, it, it just I kind of feels like they got him for his impressive name mm. and resume as opposed to what they actually needed for the role. Yeah, like it, it kind of reminds me of... Um, it, it's different because he wasn't used for mocap in the Marvel film, but like I think when the Captain America ones, Andy Serkis was cast, and like he's just played like a regular guy, and like he's perfectly fine in the film, but like he... He's not extraordinary or anything. And it's like, oh, I've I... seen him in regular things. I saw him in um, 13 Going on 30. Did you ever <laughs> see that? <laughs> he just plays Jennifer Garner's boss at the fashion magazine she works at. And it's like, well, this is weird. <laughs> like, he's fine, but... Oh, my goodness. You yeah. like, I think 13 Going on 30 might have been the kind of film I watched when I was 11. <laughs> and I haven't seen it since. Yeah, it is that kind of film. Yeah. Enjoyable, but obviously silly. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just the kind of role that you like. Really, why did they get Andy Serkis for this? Yeah, like it's like that's not what his talents like. Yeah, I love that. Um, this conversation has taken us from Puppet Snoke to thirteen going on thirty. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you listen, guys. You don't get this in other Star Wars podcasts. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't know. I I will stop talking about Snoke because I always sound negative. <laughs> I'm hoping that it's great. And I'm hoping that we get lots more interesting stuff about why, you know, what are his motivations? We're going to talk about Kylo a bit later on, but like how he factored into Kylo falling and stuff like that. But yeah, I I think there will be an explanation, but I I don't think it will be as much of an explanation that people want. There's so many crazy theories out there about who he could be. I just think he's going to be a new character and, and that's it. So yeah. This is amazing to me that like the Snoke thread like on 
like forums and stuff like that is uniformly like one of the most popular threads everyone loves talking about snoke mm. uh, and that's so interesting to me he's like a nothing character he's, he's yeah. just like the evil dude who sits there being menacing yeah he's he's there to be evil and like facilitate kylo ren's downfall not to say that he's completely responsible for it necessarily but like that's kind of what palpatine was about you can yeah. like the character for what they bring and be entertaining but their role within the narrative is just to be evil yeah i <laughs> <laughs> like I prefer Palpatine to be honest. At least Palpatine had fun. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> yeah, I love being evil. <laughs> yeah, Snoke just seems kind of scared of Luke. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, Snoke's just like a big scaredy cat. <laughs> Come on, redemption um, arc for Snoke. <laughs> the heartbreaking story. <laughs> um, right. Sorry, I've been really silly today, but I, yeah. I like it. I think it's good to be silly sometimes. I'm like delirious from lack of sleep, so Aww. sorry, listeners. <laughs> Don't worry, it's fine. You'll survive on pure adrenaline. Um, <laughs> right, so we're going to move on to Rogue One news. And the first story is that there is an LA Times article on the production of Rogue One. Right, and then I'm just going to read select excerpts from this thing because it's very, very long. Um, we would be here for half hour if we were reading all of it. So... Riz Ahmed says there were a ton of reshoots acknowledges actor Riz Ahmed who plays a cargo pilot named Bodhi Rook but if people want to read anything into that I'd encourage them to read into it the guts it takes to unpick stitching rather than just try to embroider over it to make it right I admire Kathleen Kennedy and Gareth and the whole team for having the guts to go let's reopen this let's do some of this again I think it's because they really care and hopefully that's something that shows when people see the film And then later on, Gareth Edwards says, We'd always planned to do a pickup shoot, but we needed a lot of time to figure out all this material and get the best out of it. So that pushed the entire schedule in a big way. Then Disney saw the film and reacted really well, and they said, Whatever you need, we're going to support you. Our visual effects shot count went from 600 to nearly 1,700, so suddenly we could do absolutely anything we wanted. To design a thousand visual effects shots should take a year. So it's all hands to the pump, and we never came up for air, really, until about a week ago. It would be beautiful if you write a story, you shoot exactly that, you edit it, and it's a hit. But art, or good art, doesn't work like that. It's a process, and you experiment and react and improve. And if I make more films, which I hope to, I want to make them like that as well, where it's organic and it's not predetermined. So, Kirsty, what do you make of that? (laughs) I'm glad that they're being honest about the reshoots now, but it's just kind of funny that they obviously decided, okay, it's an appropriate PR strategy to do that just before the movie comes out, but we're going to kind of make people feel silly for talking about them beforehand. Yeah. Like a while back when the rumours were starting to come out and making Star Wars reporting on it and stuff, Mm. um, people were quite dismissive of it or got quite defensive. Yeah. It's like we were saying earlier, so much defensiveness. (laughs) Yeah, there's just no need because now it comes out, yeah, the actors and the director are admitting that there were extensive reshoots and it's okay because it results in a better film. Yeah, no, exactly. And it just kind of makes them look a bit silly in retrospect for trying to deny it. Yeah. And trying to say, oh, no, it's all fine. This is always what we planned. (laughs) (laughs) I I do get the impression I saw some revisionist history going on here. Like... Well, the way he says, then Disney saw the film and reacted really well. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I get the impression it's more like Disney saw the film for you need to change lots of things, but we're yeah. going to give you money to change the things. Go and change the things. 
Yeah, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, like yeah. we say, but it, it doesn't mean they reacted well as in they thought it was an excellent movie and didn't need anything changed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's what he actually means. When he says they reacted well, they reacted in like a sensible way because they could see what needed to be changed. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, okay, instead of putting out a substandard product, we're going to give you the money you need, send you out, get you to reshoot things, and then you're going to come back and present us with a good movie. Or else. <laughs> <laughs> I think something like that is probably what happened. Yeah, um, But it seems like they've pulled it off, you know? Yeah, so. no, definitely. Like I am getting a really, really good feeling about it now like from the clips and stuff i'm seeing they suggest that this film is really strong like and, and i'm particularly struck by that music like six yeah. and a half weeks man like the, that michael g keenan was able to come up with anything in six and a half weeks is miraculous and yeah. the fact it actually sounds pretty damn decent that's like wow you, you're you're like god level <laughs> <laughs> and, and just like reading this kind of story it's so interesting like I, i'd love like a completely frank behind the scenes story of rogue one like about 10 years in the future. We probably won't ever get that. I think Disney would be quite secretive. I think may- maybe ten- in 10 years is too optimistic, but maybe in like 30 years, because there's <laughs> like those like Rinsler books, like the making of like A New Hope, the making of Empire Strikes Back, making of Return of the Jedi. Like those are all really, really in-depth accounts of the making of the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And they're very, very frank and honest about all the troubles and all the drama that went down. So if there were to be a book in that style, like which I don't think would be soon, but I do think it's possible further down the line, then I think we will learn what happens. So the story is out there. It, it just needs to be teased out of people. Um, yeah. And yeah, the fact that the visual effects account went from 600 to 1,700, <laughs> that is it's just insane. I think they must have like locked visual effects artists like in their room <laughs> like six months and said, you're not leaving until it's done. And spent a lot of money. Yes, I think I I reckon every single visual effects house going, like that could take on this work, like was basically offered the chance to work on Rogue One, because yeah. they must have had to get more people in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Bessie. But still, like you say, I really do think they're taking the right approach with this story by pointing out that the reshoots that they are actually going to improve it. So that at the end of the day, it's worth it because they recognised there were problems and then they went back and made the changes that needed to be made. So I think right. And Gareth's right in that because it's a piece of art, you never really know how it's going to go. Yeah. Like I know, I know this, this is a business, but it also is like you're creating something and you never know what's going to happen or you have something down on paper, but then it doesn't quite translate to screen. Yes. But it's just, you know, they they had the time to go back. I things might have been a bit rushed but like with the score it seems like things will have been made better yeah by making this decision so yeah no definitely i think they made changes for the right reasons so that's very good um right have you got anything else to say on that story no okay cool then the next story is that there is a chinese trailer for rogue one did you see this Kirsty? i did i liked it mm. i saw the one um with the actors talking beforehand. Yes. <laughs> Which I thought was really cute. Yeah, they seem like good friends. <laughs> they do. It was um Donnie Yang, Donnie Yen and Jiang Wen. Yeah. Um, and and the trailer itself had their characters interacting, which I don't think we've seen before. Yeah, I think we've seen it in some of the like endless TV spots. Oh, okay. Um, I might have missed those. Yeah, like there's been so many. You don't want to watch all the Like the, it was the 
on this trailer, it's the one where um, Shira is like, you know, kicking ass the stormtroopers, and then they have that funny exchange, um, like joking about him shooting at him. Oh yeah, was it like, um, you shot me? Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah yeah that was really good <laughs> oh yeah that's right you're welcome yeah <laughs> that's such a good comeback <laughs> yeah no i really like that like you i think you look at chirrut in particular he doesn't seem like he's a particularly funny bloke you know he seems more like badass warrior monk like archetype so it's nice to see that there's still like levity and like moments of humor with those characters mm-hmm yeah and with this one i also noticed that um that it seemed to be much more action-oriented I guess, than the other trailers I've seen. Yeah, um, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, like, and I was thinking that makes a lot of sense because this is for the Chinese market. And in the Chinese market, there's just not as much reverence for Star Wars. Like, I think they didn't really get the original trilogy out there in the 70s and 80s. So, like, the prequels were the first films they got. And I think those were successful films, but it wasn't like they were incredible, like, blockbusters or anything. So yeah, Star Wars is just another like big Hollywood temple out there. So they need to sell the movie on its own merits. Like, look at all the cool space battles. Look at all the cool action. Like talking about the Force and like the Jedi being gone. That's just not going to appeal to a Chinese audience. It's interesting like, to think about how to market this film to an audience that doesn't care about A New Hope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I know it's a standalone, but it obviously feeds into that era. Yeah, you'd think it would be a bit of a hard sell, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like, I have trouble explaining, like, where this film takes place to, like, pe- people in this country, like, England, like, who've seen the Star Wars films. It's like, I have to literally phrase it in the terms of, you know, the really old film, the one from the 70s, where it's, like, got Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader and they're, like, fighting and stuff. Rogue One happens just before that happens. I, I can't say A New Hope. Like, I have to actually, like, describe the film in the most, like, reductive terms possible. I just say it's in it's between the prequels and the original trilogy. But I don't actually know if that's clear to people. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I, I know that. I don't think that would help my friends. <laughs> like, some of them haven't seen the prequels even. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that wouldn't be a frame of reference for them. But I think if your friends have seen the prequels and they have seen the original trilogy, then, yeah, that's a good way of expressing it. Yeah, I can't imagine not having seen the prequels if you're going to go and see Rogue One. But <laughs> lots of people haven't seen the prequels. Um, like, I'd recommend it. Like, I might actually get one friend from the prequels and like say, hey, "Merry Christmas!" <laughs> yeah, like, don't you want to see what happened? Like, how Darth Vader became Darth Vader? <laughs> yeah, don't you want to see him as like an adorable blonde little muppet? So of course yeah. you do. Um, right then, the next story is that there is an IMAX TV spot for Rogue One. Kirsty, what did you think? Oh, I really liked this one. <laughs> yes, this is the best. This is way better yeah. than the Chinese trailer. <laughs> I love Krennic. Yes. Already. Um, Catalyst is helping. He's a villain you can't help rooting for. Um, but I just, I find him, I don't know if he's supposed to be a bit funny or <laughs> he is though, right? Like, yeah. I just find him so endearing. I, I really like it because this TV spot, I felt like this was the first time we really got a great sense for Krennic. He, he really hasn't featured that much at all in the publicity. Mm. Like he's been, like, only had, like, basically cameos in previous trailers. So, like, this TV spot, it seemed to be, like, bigging up Krennic. Like, it's virtually <laughs> all the dialogues from him. And like, I just love the new lines. Like, it's beautiful. <laughs> and, and, like, 
like he sounds so genuinely like happy and like stoked you know it's like oh look yeah. at the destruction it's so wonderful this oh. is his work yeah, exactly. Putting his heart into destroying planets, okay? Yeah, exactly. He's dreamed of it since he was like a little boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, and, I, and I also really like it because it's a really good way of setting this apart from Force Awakens. Because mm-hmm. Kylo is like the main villain in The Force Awakens. You could yeah, not get more different villains. <laughs> <laughs> yes, different discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, you could not get more different characters than Kylo Ren and Orson Krennic. <laughs> You know, like if you compare like Kylo watching as like that beam of light goes from Starkiller to destroy Hosnian Prime and it's like this really like silent, sombre scene. Mm-hmm. And then you get like Krennic like watching like the planet being blown up and he's like, Yes, awesome. <laughs> this is so good. Yeah, he actually uses the word awesome, right? Yes, he does. <laughs> Which I thought was funny because yeah. people don't really use that word awesome to mean in that traditional sense anymore. It's always like awesome. Yeah, it's like the kind of thing like the eight-year-old boys say. It's like, yeah. oh my god, that's so awesome. <laughs> it's not the kind of thing that you say to mean this moved me on a deep, profound level, which I think is the way in which Krennic means it. Because that was a different reading of that line that we've seen in other trailers, right? It was something about immeasurable power, or yeah, the line was um, immeasurable. Like they right. swapped out the words. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure the real word that will be there in that context is immeasurable. Lord only knows why they swapped it out for awesome because it just sounds a bit awkward and lame. Mm. <laughs> like I love it because like Ben Mendelsohn's delivery is really cool, but yeah, just as part of that line, it doesn't really work. Yeah, there was another line that he had, he said, "Nothing will stand in the way of the Empire." Yes, I thought the delivery there was really cool because we've talked before about this idea that Gareth Edwards had of making him a more like a working class imperial yeah and um, and that wasn't coming through for me with the earlier trailers but the, the delivery of this line seemed a bit more like that yeah no it did seem more like salt of the earth yeah it would be really interesting because we've never had that before mm. yeah no, they've always been like proper like upper class snobs in the past so yeah it'll be nice to see like someone like from the lower ranks like claw his way up mm-hmm it also explains all that like fancy cloak and stuff. You 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 only wear that if you have something to prove, you know. Yeah, exactly. I also loved. Um, did you see Saw at the beginning of the trailer? He was like yeah. completely wild. <laughs> it's like Forrest Whitaker's action was just on another level. It's like calm down, God. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't played a huge part in the trailers, right? But I'm excited to see him as well. Like he just seems there to like spout dramatic dialogue. It's like save the rebellion. <laughs> which i love i love that line yeah, i do love that line i i noticed so again in this trailer so many different takes of lines it was yeah. like guys you need to draw from a consistent pool of line deliveries i wonder why they're doing that because this is not something that i've ever noticed with marketing for any other film have you no not that i remember like um yes i think of force awakens it was more the case of them using like an old line delivery in a trailer and then using a different one in the film itself. But that's different. Like yeah. In this case, it's you have two different promotional materials released like in a fortnight time span and they both feature like the same line but different takes of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, make up your mind! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit weird. I, I wouldn't like to be in 
like the edit room to be honest because i can only guess it's like a cpr unit you know (laughs) (laughs) it's like no not that take choose another god but like how are they choosing each one is it arbitrary or is there genuinely like a different vibe they're going for with each of the spots i don't seems odd to like discern between the word awesome and immeasurable (laughs) i do wonder if that's someone having a laugh to be honest well that's how it came across for me i was like did he just say awesome <laughs> dude it's totally awesome the death star <laughs> yes. i want to see like krennic like a backward cap on now and <laughs> <laughs> like a hawaiian shirt and just be like a really lame dad character like trying to be cool and damn the kids <laughs> yeah howdy fellow kids <laughs> <laughs> like he tries to like infiltrate the rebellion like his top secret guys Oh my god, yes. It's like never been kissed meets Star Wars. <laughs> oh man. Oh, okay. No. okay. I'm being too silly today. <laughs> Don't worry. It's fine. Right, I think that's a good time to move on. Um, right, the next segment is about Rogue One and basically is that the track list for the Rogue One soundtrack has leaked. Um, and this section, I would say it's going to be somewhat spoilery. Because obviously it's a track list and that means it's like a sequential overview of the musical cues that are used. And therefore it means it does give a vague sense like the structure of the film and potentially hints at certain things that you might not want to know considering that the film comes out in a week. Um, so yeah, I, I was just planning to go through the titles like, and then have a little chat about that. Are you okay with that, Kirsty? Because yeah. I don't think these are like, super spoilery. No, so. I think they're quite careful with these that they're kind of giving you hints, but not. Yeah, is any... it? It's not like it's quite John, quite Qui Gon's noble end. No, I don't think they're going to make that mistake again. <laughs> not on that level. Um, right. Okay. So first track is "He's Here for Us." Second is "A Long Ride Ahead." Third is "Wabani Imperial Labor Camp." Very charming. Four is "Trust But Goes Both Ways." Then you have "When Has Become Now." Jeddah Arrival, Jeddah City Ambush, Stardust, Confrontation on Iedu, Krennic's Aspirations, Rebellions are built on <laughs> Rogue One, Cargo Shuttle SW-0608, Scrambling the Rebel Fleet, ATACT Assault, The Master Switch, your father would be proud. Hope. Jin Erso and Hope Suite. The Imperial Suite. Guardians of the Will Suite. Kirsty, what did you think about this? Uh, I don't have an awful lot of thoughts on this, to be honest. Hmm. Like, um, can I can I go into things that I've noticed from the book, or yeah, sure, because. I can't remember if there was a TV spot on this, but Stardust is what Galen calls Jin. <laughs> Which, but, I'm sorry, that is a really bad nickname for your child. I know. it's, a bit, <laughs> it's a Okay, so, uh, sorry to anyone who hasn't read Catalyst and is planning to, but, and, and I'm not going to go into any spoilers here, but I will say that the writing of Galen and Jin's relationship is a bit stilted. Mm, it's, and, and maybe that's how it's... With writing kids. Yeah, I don't know if that's the way it's supposed to be, but it's just a bit like, you don't really... It doesn't seem that in depth or realistic. Yeah. Um, it's like, yes, yeah, Jin is a real kid, kind of. Yeah. Like, 
I don't I think actually the making Star Wars team were talking about this in their podcast the other day. Um there's this like weird thing where like Jin picks up on vibes from Krennic before her father does. Like somehow Jin has the sixth sense about him and Galen doesn't, even though he's known him since he was at college with him. It's like children and dogs. <laughs> right. It's like, okay. Get what you're going for there, but it's just a bit silly. Mm. Um Aside I... from that, the thing that, that grabs me is the Guardians of the Wills. Did you notice that? I did, yeah. And kind of like, what's up with the wills? Yeah, I'm excited about this because I really do think they're they're attempting to bring them into Star Wars canon. Mm. Um, to people who aren't familiar, that's the the wills is like the the beginning of Star Wars lore that was before Lucas even started filming Star Wars, and it just never really made it into the story itself. But the idea is that the wills are telling the story of the Star Wars, so like way into the future, and they have this journal of the wills that they wrote everything down that happened yeah so it's it's going to be exciting to see how that factors in i don't know how much detail they'll be able to go into the movie because obviously there's so much other stuff going on but i i can like i said last week i can see it becoming part of the trilogy as well yeah like it's very intriguing to me especially the way it's the last track so that implies it's going to end on some kind of note concerning the wills Mm. somehow but lord only knows how that's going to happen that it doesn't fit with like my conception of the film at all. But that's a really good thing because I think it's pretty awesome that this film's coming out next week and we know so little about it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, same. Because at this point for Force Awakens, it's like, yep, hand dice. Well, obviously, I was not openly saying that because I'm not an asshole. But <laughs> I knew I wasn't happened. at all because I wasn't involved and I'm, I'm glad I wasn't. But yeah. there's something... Because I don't have any self-control when it comes to episode 8 spoilers. <laughs> Especially course. not now we have a podcast where we discuss them. <laughs> yes. But I'm I'm still kind of hoping that we don't get an awful lot um, before episode 8 comes out so that we are surprised. Because I, I think... won't be able to stop myself from reading it all. I think that will happen, to be honest. I, I don't think anything on the level of Force Awakens is happening again. Like, based on the security measures I've been hearing. Um, but yeah, um, to me, the most striking and disappointing thing about this was that Michael Giacchino is not using puns anymore for his oh, I specifically told him not to do that. Yeah, I know. I, I was like, if they did, if they did that to poor Michael, and he's really excited about all the pun potential in Star Wars, because there's so much pun potential. Like, I bet he was really, really sad, and that makes me sad for him. He probably has alternate names for them. I, I hope so. Uh, like, as soon as I find out the alternate names, I'm going to like rename manually every track so that they're the Michael Giacchino approved titles. <laughs> so, so, like, I'm sorry to keep on bringing it up, but on the Jupiter Ascending soundtrack, you get amazing track names. It's like um, Dinosaur to New Heights. <laughs> so, uh. so great. It's like really, really bad puns, really yeah. cheesy puns, but they're perfect. So they completely match what's on screen. And I Maybe love- they thought it would lower the tone. <laughs> This is Star Wars, okay? It's really serious, highbrow stuff. Yeah, it's like oh, so... <laughs> it's not gonna happen. When does the soundtrack come out? Is it the day after or something? I reckon it will be the day the film comes out, or the day okay. after. I, I haven't checked though. Um, I love listening to the soundtracks over and over. I really appreciate Force Awakens soundtrack now, so I hope yeah. I like the um, Rogue One soundtrack just as much. Oh yeah, that's something I forgot to mention about the IMAX TV spot Krennic. Great music in there. I really yeah. hope that's music from the film itself. It sounded like so so urgent and doom laden. Mm-hmm. It's like, I love this. I really, really want this to be in the film. So I'll be yeah, super, oh. super stoked if it is. 
Yeah, all the different spots that have been coming out recently, I assume that it's My Cause Music. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think they've all been great. Yeah. So, I no, hope. I really like what I've been hearing. Right, and then the final story is that we have several new clips from Rogue One, and they're with like various different characters. There's like Jin and Bodhi, and they're talking about the Rogue One call sign, and then there's one of Jin and Cassian, and Jin's got this gun, and Cassian's been like, oh, I'm not sure I like you, I have the gun. And then there's Galen and Krennic, and they're facing off in a field, and then there's one of like Jin inspiring the rebellion. Um, so yeah, did you see these clips, Kirsty? I did, and I thought they were all really good. Yeah, same. I got a really good feeling about them again. Really liked the music and all of them. Um, did you have any favourite clip? Um, I think my favourite was the Galen and Krennic one. Mm. I think their relationship is just really interesting. Yeah, and I bet having read Catalyst, that gives you like a much deeper insight into it. Yeah, I would recommend that people read that. If, if There probably isn't time for everyone to read it beforehand, but maybe afterwards if they were interested in that particular part of the story. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very interesting, their dynamic. But um, I like the other two as well. Um, mm-hmm. There's Jin and Bodhi and Jin and Cassian with K2SO. Yeah. I love K2SO. Yeah. No, he's really funny. Yeah. I, I think my favourite one was the one between Jin and Cassian. Yeah. I really liked um, just the feel I get from those two characters. And I really like the relationship they seem to have. Mm-hmm. So it's like Kit Cassian. He just, I, lo- I like how understated he is almost. Like, he's not, like, a flashy, like, hero character, although he's clearly very brave. Like, he's more, like, practical and, like, into organising things and, like, getting people on board for the rebellion. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I just really like that they have that sort of character again because they're exploring lots of different kinds of male characters. And I think that's really good. It's not like it's, like, an uber-masculine character. And that character easily could be that, like, type, if you're not for one. I am wondering if their relationship will be romantic. Because mm. people have been kind of assuming that it's going that way, but we haven't got like a confirmation or anything. I did actually see an interview with um, Felicity where she's directly asked about this. Oh, what did she say? Um, I think she said that they have tender moments. Right. Um, so she... that's kind of what I've been thinking. Yeah. It's not like they're going to like have a full-on make-out sesh at the end or anything. Yeah. Um, she, she did say that there's they're also... Gr- she did say wait and see essentially right. so she wasn't like willing to confirm or deny but she said it in such a way that made me think yes they, they are going to do something with that oh, okay like you say i yeah. don't necessarily think like snogging like behind the bike sheds level. <laughs> um, like behind I mean, it, spaceships i guess <laughs> yeah i'm not invested in it either way yeah uh, but i you know whatever works for the story but yeah it's the film's um, job to make you invested if it does go in that direction yeah, sometimes I'm wary of like reading too much into trailers when it's like we've said before, it's for a different purpose. That's kind of to market a film, but it doesn't necessarily. They're probably relying on you to fill in the gaps and maybe make assumptions. Yeah, sure. So we'll see. Yeah, no, exactly. We will discover that. Um, right then, are we ready to move on? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Then we will go into our spotlight section. Which this time is going to be a continuation of last week's chat about Kylo Ren. Because there's just so much to say about Kylo Ren. Um, yeah, and we're going to go a bit more into his backstory. And like essentially, we're going to start off by exploring his early history. So what we know about him when he was a child and like his story pre The Force Awakens. And then we're going to branch out into other topics. So chronologically speaking the first time we're introduced to kylo is when he's still unborn 
essentially. It sounds a bit creepy now I say it out loud, but that's literally what happens. He's in Leia's belly because she's pregnant with him. Um, and this is essentially the first appearance of Ben Solo. Right, it's I, in Af- Aftermath Life Debt, right, the book? Yes, precisely. Um, so I'm going to read a excerpt from Life Debt. So it goes like this. There, there it is, washing over her and through her, an awareness unlike any she's ever felt before, a pulsing glow, flickering and strong. It's not the plant, it's not Luke, it's not even Han, it's her child. This isn't just a mother's recognition of the life inside, that she already knows. She's already well aware of the bump and tumble of that little person she carries, and she already knows about the heartburn and the pre-breakfast nausea and the post-breakfast nausea and the post-post-breakfast hunger. <laughs> this goes beyond all that. This is something separate from her. It isn't a physical feeling. It is all around her. It suffuses her like the perfume from a jungle of flowers. As such, she's suddenly aware of her child's mind and spirit. She senses pluck and wit and steel blood and a keen mind. And by the blood of Alderaan! <laughs> I'm sorry, that just makes me think of He-Man. <laughs> it's a bit of an unfortunate choice of phrase. <laughs> um, right, sorry. By the blood of Alderaan, is this one going to be a fighter? Wait, he? It's a boy. It's a boy. Her hands fly in front of her mouth as she both laughs and cries at the same time. This, she thinks, is the light side that Luke always goes on about. I love that she thinks about her brother in those terms. It's like, it's like oh, shut up, Luke. I'm being <laughs> annoying. Shut up about the freaking force. Yeah, he comes across as a bit of a preacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I'd be annoyed. Um, but yeah, sorry to move on. The promise of light. The promise of a new life. And then the black edging of the dark side encircles her bliss like a noose. Because what rides swift on the hills of hope but fear... A fear that stretches out far and wide like a grown shadow. Fear of having a child in an unstable galaxy. Fear of whether or not Han is alive. Or Luke, too. Will the child grow up with a father? An uncle? A mentor? What is her legacy? And what will her boy's legacy be? So I was thinking, Kirsty, like, what did you first think of this passage when you first saw it? Oh, I really like this passage. Mm. I'm not I'm not overall a huge fan of Chuck Mendig's, um writing. Mm-hmm. But I... I just really like this connection between Leia and Ben. Yes. And that and they're, they're, they're emphasizing her force sensitivity as well. Yeah. Because that sometimes gets glossed over. But I really love the idea of her connecting with her child before he's even born. Yeah, same. And like learning things about how his personality is going to be that she can sense things about him already. Yeah, exactly. And to me, that makes it much more significant that Leia says like there's still light in him, you know, mm-hmm. in The Force Awakens. Like when she says that, she says it as a mother. She says that as someone who felt her child when he was unborn. You know, so if anyone knows that there's still light in him, it's going to be Leia. It's going to be his mother. Like because I think a lot of people they don't give like enough credence to Leia's belief that her, there's still good in her child. Like they think, oh, she's just in denial. She can't accept that like her son's gone bad. Mm-hmm. And it's like I don't think it's that. I think it's genuinely this profound connection through the Force, and that's how she knows. It's yeah. not like arbitrary or like grasping at straws. Like it's a genuine feeling that she has. So yeah, it'll be, be interesting going forward to see if she still has that feeling about her child. Like there's still any hope for him or not. Like on the basis of this, like on the basis of how she felt about him, like before she'd even met him, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, this bit at the end where it talks about the dark side, 
already mm-hmm. being there. You wonder, I mean, it's deliberately ambiguous, obviously, but you yeah. wonder if that's somehow Snoke already. Because mm. he knew that Leia and Han were going to have a baby. Yeah. And that that child would be strong in the Force. Yeah. Um, or if that's something that is inherent in Ben, that he, he does have light and dark in him, and that's just the way he'll always be. Mm. What do you think? I definitely think it's this idea that like there are equal parts, light and dark. Like it's that my personal feeling, this is really jumping the gun, is that this whole trilogy is going to be like about you need to reconcile the light and the dark aspects of yourself. Yeah, like, same. Like you can't deny or repress the darkness within you. Because that leads to terrible things. Just as trying to deny and repress the light within you leads to terrible things. Because that's what Kylo does and it goes very badly. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be about stressing that it's natural. And that this whole like intense fear of like and repulsion towards the dark side, that's part of the problem. Like Because no one's ever like looking at the dark side and thinking... It has something to offer. Like it does genuinely offer balance. It's necessary. It's needed. It's like, no, we need to destroy the dark side. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's where all this goes wrong. We might talk about this a bit later, but there are certain texts that Ryan Johnson's been referencing for episode eight inspiration that point towards that idea. Yeah. Um, and it comes back to that. I, the initial inspiration for George Lucas from Carl Jung as well, that there's dark and light in everyone and you have to accept both to be a whole person. Mm. Exactly. Which... And I, I do think Star Wars has always been, at least in part, like about imparting these like primeval messages, like about human nature, like and how to cope with things. So I think that's very appropriate. Um, yeah. So this this book, did you read Aftermath? I wasn't sure. I didn't know. Like I, okay. I like I, I feel like I should just be honest and fess up here. Well, no. So when I just want to give a bit of context for people who haven't read it. Yeah. Um, when she says that she's afraid of whether Han's alive or not, um part of the story in the book is that she sends people to look for him because he has gone missing with Chewie. Yeah. Um, he's trying to help Chewie liberate um, the Wookiees on Kashyyyk. And um, yeah, she's not, uh, she doesn't know if Han is going to be back in time for Ben to be born. Mm. And and Han's thinking about that too. Oh. And um, he decides not to be home for that. He makes the decision to go with Chewie. Um, Ooh, bad. Yeah, yeah right. So, I love Han, so I'm not into character bashing or anything like that. Uh, but it's not the best start to him being a father. <laughs> He's your <laughs> child. <laughs> Gotta put that out there. I know, you know, the thing about Han and Leia is that they have these really strong values that go beyond family, right? Like, family is important in Star Wars, but they also have these strong senses of duty. Yeah. Um, so I think that might be part of the narrative um, for Ben's childhood. Mm. Um, and I, I'm not sure how I feel about that, especially from Leia's perspective, because there is this kind of cliche sometimes that like, oh, the kid was a bad seed because the mother wasn't there enough, mm. you know. And then it's it can be read sometimes as a dig at working mothers. Yeah. But we're just gonna see how they play it. Yeah, like I definitely couldn't go in that direction. I remember um, like Pablo at one point like said, like send the message that like a woman like can't can have a child and a career. Like that, that's not something we're interested in doing. Okay, good. Like, but so yeah, but the, yeah, they included this bit. This was part of the story for Han that he knew that his wife was pregnant, mm. um, and decided that he wasn't sure if he was going to be back in time for the birth, but he was going to take that risk. And he, he, you know, he wasn't sure if he was going to live or die. Yeah, and 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 Luke's not there either. No, like <laughs> they were like swanning off around the galaxy. Um, right. <laughs> 
I, I do find it interesting, um, like, there's the question mark after, will he have a mentor? Like, because I do kind of wonder if when he was growing up, like, Ben did kind of, like, lack a mentor figure, or at least, like, a steady mentor figure. Like, and that's, like, kind of how Snoke came in and filled the gap. Like, do you know what I mean? Because he did offer to mentor Ben. Like, right. obviously in the dark side, which is not the kind of mentoring he needed at all. Um, like, and my working theory, and it is just a theory, is that I think he, like, got in there, like, when Ben was very, very young, like, a small child, like, and then, like, Leia discovered this. She discovered that this, like, evil, creepy alien person was, like, in her son's head and, like, distorting his thoughts. And then she panicked, and then that's the point at which Ben was sent away to Luke. Because mm-hmm. we obviously know that Leia and Han decided to send him away, so they wanted to, like, rain at it and they wanted to make sure he had some help to avoid going down that dark path and they thought Luke could help him with that obviously that didn't work but yeah there's clearly like a backstory there so some kind of like impetus behind him being sent to Luke in the first place like do you have any theories as such like on what that was Kirsty? Um, not not specific theories but I do find it interesting this idea that how fear plays into the dark side and how it can mm-hmm. kind of be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Because that, that reminds me of Anakin's fall a lot. Mm. That he he was trying to do the right thing and became so afraid of losing Padme that he ended up losing her because of what he did. Yeah. The um, ultimate irony. Yeah. I can kind of see that playing in here that if Leia was had in the back of her mind that her son could turn out to be like her father, mm. that the fear that made her send him away and he felt like there was something wrong with him maybe yeah that 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 almost became part of why things happened yeah in the force awakens she says i should never have what was it she says like um, i should I sent never him... have sent him away right so maybe that's her looking back now and thinking that she shouldn't have done things the way she did mm. i do wonder if it was almost like an element of self-fulfilling prophecy like yeah. you say, because here, even when he's still in her womb, she's still got that like deep fear and like paranoia over, oh my god, what like the darkness gets to my child. Like what what if that manifests in him, what will his destiny be? That can't not have like influenced how she parented him mm-hmm. and like his childhood. You know, so he would have always had that hanging over him, like even if he wasn't explicitly told like about his dark lineage, which we know he wasn't. Like, because in Bloodline, it comes out that Leia had never told Ben that his grandfather was Darth Vader. So, yeah, like, he will have been treated, like, differently because his mother obviously had the knowledge of where she came from and she didn't want that to affect her child. But almost, like, by trying to hide that and, like, skirting around it, like, it probably became more of an issue than it ever needed to be. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's what I really liked about Bloodline. Well, part of it anyway. That um, you saw you saw Leia still struggling to accept what her father, who he was, yeah. and what he had done to her, yes. and how she was still living with that fear. And because she wasn't able to accept it, it was still affecting things. You know, several generations later. Yeah. And then you you're reading it, and you already know what's happened to Kylo Ren. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's sad to think about. Like it's so hard. So it's like controversial because people really like love the characters of Han and Leia you know and they don't want to like hear any suggestion like that people might have thought they did things wrong or that they weren't perfect parents to Ben when he was a child and like and it's so hard so I think you need to have a nuanced conversation about these things 
Right, it's not about blaming them. Yeah, exactly. It's that she had a very real fear that her son could be just as powerful and potentially as dark as her father, and that scared her. Yeah. Like, that's that's not us attacking Leia or, you know, it's... Yeah, it does have to have a bit of nuance about it. It's not like seeing the characters as these perfect cinnamon rolls. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. But just that they're fallible and people make mistakes or not even mistakes, that, that things just happen. Yeah. You know? Like, I, I think if anything went wrong, it was just because, like, she loved him too much. Like, and she was so afraid, like, about something bad happening to him, like, that she probably went too far, like, by sending him away. Because she fell out of her depth and she felt there wasn't much she could do because obviously Ben was so strong in the force that she's like, I- I'm not sure I can deal with this. Like, I'm not sure I have the facilities to handle it. So it's like, right, I'm going to send him away to Luke, who I think does. Like, and as she reflects in The Force Awakens, the benefit of hindsight, that was like a misjudgment, you know, because she feels in retrospect that she should have just kept him with her. Mm-hmm. Like, and yeah, like from the way kylo behaves in the force awakens you do get the sense of someone who feels very like rejected and like estranged from his family and that's very painful to him like there's nothing covert on how he feels about his mother like it's all about the daddy issues but like obviously it's partly about both of them that he feels that disappointment in yeah i i've seen quite a few fans who maybe aren't fans of kylo ren or are fans of him as a villain but aren't too interested in looking at his redeemability or the nuance behind his behavior. Yes. And and they'll point to people like Ray and say, well, she was abandoned and she's not behaving like that. Yeah. So, you know, he had at least a family. Mm. But there are different ways in which people can feel abandoned. And I think it's it's not helpful to say that one is more valid than another. Yes. It almost it can be kind of victim blaming in a way. Yeah. We don't we don't know what happened and we you know, Ray didn't have someone in her head, you know, trying to lure her to the dark side as it seems like Snoke was. We don't know for sure yet. Yeah. But from the way that it goes into more depth in the novelization, um, with Leia really talking about how I can't remember the exact words, but it really does seem to emphasize that this has been going on for a long time and that she knew who Snoke was but didn't realise until it was almost too late. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, there are, like, heavy implications, like, in the novelization, for example, that um, Snoke knows Leia, like, on a personal level. Like, and, like, I theorised myself, and there's not, like, much support for this, but there are some illusions in the novelization that could be seen to back it up. Um, and, like, there is this idea that Snoke's maybe, like, a politician, like, and mm-hmm. that he, like, got close to Leia that way, and, like, that's how he had access to the young Ben Solo, because there is the heavy implication in the novel that he has been inside Ben's mind from birth, like luring him towards the dark side. And we, we don't know if that involved physical contact as well, but there's clearly some kind of like mental link there for a long, long time. Yeah, wasn't there a bit in the, the original version of Ray's vision where she sees a boy with someone who's supposed to look like Snoke? Yes, that's right. Um, I think the editor said that in an interview. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and that pretty Well, much... she sees it... Right, in the novelization, she sees a boy in a corridor. Yes. And then the editor mentioned that Snoke was going to be in that part of the vision as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was basically the evidence, like the shooting gun evidence that caused people to say, yeah, that little boy is 99% certain to be Ben Solo. Mm. Because there was uncertainty before. There was a bit like of a debate over who that boy was. But... 
yeah, it seems very likely to have been Ben. And it's also worth noting that like there's a scene breakdown online, like for what was originally going to be in The Force Awakens, and much of it's the same, but the vision's quite different, and like there's lots of elements of the vision that are nowhere to be seen in the finished film, and it's all stuff like um young Kylo Ren is left behind by his parents, like with Luke. Um, and like young Kylo Ren like is seen like uh, surrounded by bodies and young Kylo Ren is gone and stuff like right. that. It's kind of weird that Ray's vision would be so heavy on this one character. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what I was thinking. I think the one of the original purposes, the vision, was to show that backstory of like Kylo Ren, like when he was still Ben Solo. And for whatever reasons they decided not to do that, my working theory is that it's most likely to be because they're going to tell that story in episode eight instead. Like that that's really going to be where we start to understand like Ben Solo's past and how he became Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and when, I think that makes sense for a more suspenseful, uh, suspenseful story. Yeah. Um, because they obviously did want people to take Kylo Ren seriously as a villain in the, the first part of the story and, it's only really as things go along and that the protagonist's opinion changes of them that the audience is kind of mirroring that at yes. the same the same pace. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how all that goes down. Yeah, no, 100%. So it's so interesting to me. I've seen lots of people um, suggest that like there is nothing else to Kylo Ren's backstory beyond what we already know. Like I've seen people literally say that. And it's like, if you think that... Like, he just turned to the dark side because he was upset when he found out that Darth Vader was his granddad. Like, I really think you're severely underestimating these films. Yeah, I, I've really... I've, I've talked about this before, but I've realised since joining the Star Wars fandom um, properly mm-hmm. that um, it's... People approach stories in lots of different ways. Mm. You and I obviously love to speculate and we're not like, oh, everything that, is, that we think is going to be right. Like, that's not really the point of us having conversations about it. It's not why yeah. we've started this podcast or anything. Um, but plenty of other people also prefer to just approach the story as it's being told. Yeah, sure. And th- there's nothing wrong with that. But it is interesting that they then uh, sometimes like try to dig their heels in and... and uh, not enjoy the fact that others are speculating as oh well maybe there is something more going on here that we'll learn about later it's like no no this is it this is the story when we only have the first part Mm. Uh, you know it's it's so interesting to see how different people interpret the same thing it really is yeah it's like i kind of feel like this sequel trilogy is like the ultimate rorschach test (laughs) like in terms of like everyone coming to the same thing and everyone taking different things away from it it's so interesting it's part of like the mystery box and we're gonna maybe talk about this more later, like the different fan reactions to Kylo Ren and, and the other characters like Ray and Finn and Poe as well. Mm. That there is an awful lot of projection that goes on, and I'm I'm know that I'm guilty of this myself. Yeah, um, because there's so much mystery around all the characters' backstories and their motivations. It's not all spelled out in the film itself. Mm. That people apply so much of their own understanding and their own experiences into these characters. Yes. So, but I think that's been really enriching as well. Yeah, I don't know about other people, but the story has been really enjoyable for me in terms of working out how I feel about the characters and why. Yeah, no, totally. Like, I really like this discussion and dialogue that's happening. I, I think it's really interesting and it has really added to my enjoyment of it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really good. 
Um, yeah, like I, I guess to return to Ben and Kylo, I guess the next thing to discuss is like how do we think like it went down with Luke exactly? Like, do you think that Ben wanted to go? Like, do you think some part of him was keen to be trained as a Jedi? Actually, it's or... interesting to think about, isn't it, that he might mm. not have wanted to be a Jedi? Yeah, like. I kind of get the impression that he didn't want to. That's my working theory at the moment, just because there's so much like resentment and hurt there. And I think if he had gone there and like had been really excited about coming a Jedi and had really wanted that for himself, I, I'm not sure I'd like get the psychology as much, like in terms of where he is now. You know, yeah. I think there has to have been like resentment there from the outset. But yeah, it's what, an in- what do you interesting think? Interesting choice of words from Leia in the film when she says she sent him to Luke. Mm. That he didn't ask to go, and it was yeah. in rea- it was potentially in reaction to something else. That when Han says there's too much Vader in him, and she says that's why I sent him to Luke. Yeah, like something else was already going on before that happened, but it doesn't mean that Ben was happy about going. Yeah, um, I guess a lot of it hinges on the kind of Jedi practicing and theory that Luke has, and we don't know that yet. Yeah. We don't know if he's still kind of in that traditional school from Obi-Wan and Yoda or if he's branched out and kind of taken a dive into the old school Jedi lore or trying something new. Like, we don't have much to go on there. Yeah. I kind of wonder if um, they... Like, if it was this kind of situation where, like, Ben couldn't control his powers because he'd never had training and... Then in response to that, like the powers just came out all of a sudden, and then something terrible happened, like, like maybe he accidentally killed someone, but he was a child, mm. you know, like so he was helpless and he didn't have any control over it, and he was really really frightened, and then when his parents saw that, they were really scared because they were like, oh my god, my child can do this, this is really terrifying, we need to get him help, he needs to get his powers under control, so then they sent him away to Luke. I think that would be an interesting kind of scenario because then, like, for Ben, that would feel like he was being punished because yeah. obviously he would know that he had done something very, very wrong. So instead of, like, seeing going to Luke as being a move made to help him and guide him, it'd be like, no, you're punishing me by sending me away. You don't want me anymore. You don't love me anymore. You know, right. like, that that kind of idea. But, th- but that is obviously heavily speculative. Yeah, I mean, that's all we can do right now because they've intentionally left this as a mystery. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, if, if that's the route they're taking, um, this is just my interpretation, but it almost mm. seems like that's kind of a coding for mental illness or something like that. Yeah. Like the idea of parents just not feeling like they're equipped to deal with something, especially if they're both so busy and they have so many other responsibilities and then they have this child that needs extra care and attention. Yes. Um, and yeah, they just don't feel like they can meet those requirements. So they send him to Luke with the best of intentions. Mm. But but we don't have any insight into where Luke was at that time. Yeah. Not not physically. I mean, like what he was trying to do. Um, yeah. And if he if he was living this like nomadic lifestyle, traveling around the galaxy, trying to hunt for Jedi lore and artifacts, is was that the best choice for Ben? Yeah. Like, and it's also a question of, like, did he have any friends? Yeah, no, that's what I was thinking. Like, it's like, how did he relate to the other learners that Luke had? Because Luke clearly had other students, because we're told that Ben apparently, like, destroyed it all, you know, mm. including the other students. Um, so, yeah, like, so I expect he would have stuck out like a store thumb, you know, because 
And unless Luke has a secret family that we don't know about, which for obvious reasons we strongly doubt, Ben will have been the only like Skywalker descendant there. You know, he would have been like automatically singled out because he was the only blood relation of Master Luke. You know, so that would automatically automatically make him a bit of the odd one. And it, like presuming that Ben was like a bit of an outcast and didn't really fit in anyway, like then that would make him in like in a very weird and uncomfortable position. Like so he he might well have not got on with them. But again, it is so difficult. So we we know nothing about this. We're talking about like theoretical people and theoretical relationships. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I still think it's fun like to discuss these things because hopefully this is all material that they're going to touch upon like in an animated series. Like, so I'd love that to like get Ben's story about him as as a young learner and like really get in, into his head and understanding what he went through and what his early story was. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that I find really interesting about the way they've structured the story because. Even though people are very um, invested in the idea of who Ray's parents are, mm. it doesn't change her backstory that much. Yeah. Like, it, it might change the first few years of her life. Yeah. Um, but we already know the essentials that she was living on Jakku for 15 years by herself. And we have things like the Ray's Survival Guide. Yeah. Um, that re- she really goes into detail about how she lived, how she worked. Um, and, like, the she was quite an isolated person. Like, I think it's in Before the Awakening that they really go into the idea that she doesn't really let anyone in. She's very much a loner and doesn't trust other scavengers. Yeah. There's a good reason for that in that story. Yes. Um, so the, the timeline leading up to the force awakens is Ben's life, mm. you know? And I, I completely understand why some people don't like this idea because if, the fact that he is the Skywalker solo of this generation, um, he ties the trilogies together. Like his fall is why this trilogy happened because that's what creates the drama. Yeah. In the Force Awakens, he's the person who ties it all together. Not he's not the protagonist. Finn and Rey are, mm. but his his drama is the backdrop. Yeah. Exactly. He's kind of like the person who put things in motion, like yeah. with his choices. So it's it's an awkward conversation because um, I completely get people's concerns when it comes to the idea that. It's actually the white male antagonist story that is the backstory that will be explored, mm-hmm. not just Ray and Finn's. Yeah. But Maybe I don't know. I'm hoping that Lucasfilm navigate that well and it's a good yeah. story that pleases everyone. So Yeah. No, exactly. We all see. Like uh, I'd like to see more acknowledgement of like Ray and Finn's backstories. Like particularly Finn, because we we know even less about that. It's literally like a throwaway line. <laughs> Yeah, I would love to get um, insight into the Stormtroopers program. Delving into all of the, the new characters' backstories is fascinating. Um, and there's just been such a rich diversity of um, fan and headcanons and fan fiction yeah. and art and all sorts that have been created. So it's really great. Yeah, no, exactly. It's really fascinating to think about. Um, but yeah, we will t- move briefly on to Kylo's future. We won't go into this like in great depth because... I expect we still want to have a separate redemption discussion at some point because that's a whole other kettle of fish. <laughs> um, but yeah, like um, I, I suppose the question is based on what we know about episode eight, it seems like we are going to get like more of that backstory. Like that was hinted at like in the scene breakdowns for force awakens, but which were cut. So like what happened in the past with Kylo at Luke's temple, 
So there's the implication that we're going to go back and see some of those things through like an extension of the force vision. Um, yeah, like, um, and what do you think that means, like, Kirsty, like, potentially for the character and, like, where they'll be taking him? Well, I know at the the beginning of the speculation, like, just after the film came out, a lot of the leading theories were about the idea of Ray having already been at the Academy and then um, after whatever went down, she was hidden on Jack Jakku for safekeeping, either by Luke or someone else. Mm-hmm. So back then, the idea of her ex- exploring more of that in a forced vision would be her somehow realizing that that was her background and that yeah. she was already a part of the Jedi order in some way and had this dynamic already with Luke. But now hearing about this, it's like Ray is having these visions of something that didn't actually happen to her. She wasn't there. She's, she's an observer. Yes. So it's interesting to think about why this is happening and why when she touched the saber, she had these visions about Kylo Ren's, um, past if if him and the Knights of Ren that's in the past we don't know for sure but I'm you know it might be um, and then she sees him in the forest and that's the future that's coming up in that same film but it's slightly altered mm. um, yeah I don't know I, mean, I with this this idea of them having the force vision in episode 8 they have to be showing us something that shocks the audience in some way right for it to be uh, a reasonable part of, to include in the story there has to be a purpose of it and if it's just to show us that, yes, Kylo Ren killed all the Padawans or whatever, and it's going down exactly the way you've already assumed. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really sure why that they would bother go- going into that. Like, the idea of going into a character's backstory is to actually surprise you in some way and tell you something you didn't think you already knew. Yeah. No, definitely. I think just the mere fact that they're revisiting that, it means we're going to get additional information. So either that means we're going to get like new details on the story we already know, like, or, like, we're going to get, like, a different take on the story we already know. I think either way, it's going to cause us to revise our understanding of exactly what happened. Um, because Yeah, and it, and it has to mean something for Ray's story. Yeah, no, exactly. So I think it is going to be very much a film about challenging people's perceptions. Like, particularly Ray's, because obviously she's the protagonist. Like, because in Force Awakens, for obvious and understandable reasons, she perceives Kylo as an evil person and she's extremely angry with him and it's all very understandable and logical but at the same time there's clearly going to have to be some kind of shift or progression there and I think the vision and getting like that different slant on things is likely to be the vehicle for that progression Mm. but yeah we will see on that Um, yeah and then you added a note here Kirsty about um like Kylo potentially being much like darker and like much angrier and more tortured in episode eight and like the implications that might have for like any redemption plot. I was wondering like do you want to expand on that a bit more? Yeah, I just the way he seems after he's killed Han, like he flies into a rage at Finn and then is battling with Ray. Yeah. It's like he still hasn't he understandably because he literally just did it but he has to come to terms with what he's done and I think until he does that until he accepts um, not only the darkness in him but to accept that he feels really really terrible about it Mm. because he's probably trying to deny that it's something that's affecting him like that Yeah, like the whole he means nothing to me Mm. Um, I I think he's going to be in even even greater turmoil Yeah, I've seen some fans kind of hope that he's somehow going to become in this like 
just completely dark, badass villain. And while that might be, um, you know, a spectacle, I I can't see it being the narrative, the extension of the narrative here. Yeah. Does it doesn't seem right based on what we've been hearing from Adam Driver's comments in recent interviews. He's been talking a lot more explicitly about um, Kylo's feeling of being an outsider of not feeling loved and being desperate to be loved yes, and needing belonging. And he's mentioned family as well, which is super interesting because the reading a lot of people got from The Force Awakens and, you know, Lorne Santeca says it at the beginning is you can't deny the truth that is your family. So it's almost like Kylo is trying to reject his family. Yeah. But it's not that simple. You know, people can feel love and resentment towards those that they love. Yeah. And especially if they feel like they've been rejected themselves in the past and maybe there's this miscommunication going on. Like, you know, that we we talked about it last week with Han facing his son for the first time in what could be years mm. and filled with regret about everything that's happened. It's not necessarily one person's fault. And I'm not personally interested in it as a fan placing blame on one character. I don't think that's particularly interesting. Yes. But acknowledging that even with the best of intentions, relationships can still be difficult and fragmented and and heartbreaking. And they can lead to these awful things. Yeah. No, I think you put it really, really well. Um, like you say, humans are complicated. And you don't necessarily like feel a consistent emotion towards someone. Like You are going to be torn, especially when it's your, your own parents you're thinking of. You know, like, of course he loves them. Like, it is painfully transparent that he means nothing to me. It's a, a lie. Mm-hmm. Like, of course he means something to him because he's his dad. And, like, that comes through even more strongly in the scene itself. Because, yeah, there you just see a boy who wants to go home with his father deep down. Ultimately, he doesn't. And that's, like, a tragic choice. But he is sorely, sorely tempted. Like, and that's from the horse's mouth as well because JJ came out and said that. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think the moments of Kylo after he kills Han are so interesting because if they'd wanted to, they could have very easily shown Kylo as a character who was very secure and confident in the dark side after committing that act of ultimate evil, that act of patricide. But instead they go the other direction and they show that he's even more chaotic and even more emotional and tumultuous than he was before. So, like, it's clear that killing his father had the opposite to the desired effect because he did it to, like, achieve peace and to achieve, like, balance and security in the dark side. And he completely unsettled himself and threw himself off balance. And I think the film itself at great pains to show that and show that he's only got worse and that his conflict is even more intense. But, yeah, like I say, it's interesting that lots of people saw that and they thought, that's it that is the path for him now it's going to be a dark path and there's no coming back from that yeah and i think this feeds into why he behaves the way he does towards ray as well Mm. i know there have been lots of different interpretations to how those scenes go down but to me what's there is that he senses this affinity with this other young person Mm -hmm. that um you know once he recognizes that she's really strong in the force too and offers to teach her it's like you know we have these comments from jj and and Adam Driver that he feels alone and desperate for belonging and it's interesting that we actually have that idea from Ray and Daisy as well yes um so yeah it's interesting to think about where that's going to go because Mm. 
at the, at the moment, as you say, she thinks that he's a monster. So it's like this idea that he's he was rejected by her. You know, he offers to teach her, and she says no, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. slashes him. Um, but where do, where do they go from here? Like, if she's going to learn more about him, what what does that mean? Their dynamic. Yeah. No, it's going to be so interesting. Um, and like to touch upon spoilers um, for episode eight briefly, we obviously know Kylo physically shows up on the island and like I'm increasingly being drawn to the idea where basically we also know from making Star Wars or at least making Star Wars have suggested that Rey is going to be instructed by Luke that she has to kill Kylo Ren Mm. and then there's obviously going to be early on in episode 8 where we have Kylo Ren and Snoke together and I can see them going for an idea where Rey and Kylo they both have the masters and both of them, like in the light side and the dark, they're both told, you need to kill the other one. So Kylo, you have to kill Rey. And Rey, you have to kill Kylo. So then when they meet up, they've both got these orders from their masters. You've got to kill each other. And then I think that's where things are going to start to go skewy. And it's going to be like, but what if we don't kill each other? <laughs> yeah, I really like this idea of there being a third way. Mm. Um, and that the younger generation will will say actually you know we're going to figure it out for ourselves yeah because that's kind of what these coming of age stories are like you know I I love Luke and I'm really excited to see what they do with him but I'm also wary of the idea that somehow um I know some people think that he's going to be her dad so that throws up all these other kind of ideas of them just getting along like a house on fire and it'll be great <laughs> yes daddy daughter bonding time yeah almost by definition that's not what these stories are like that's why Luke had fundamentally different approaches to the story that compared to Yoda and Obi-Wan yeah and I'm not saying that he'll be the Obi-Wan or Yoda he's going to be his own character but that's kind of what happens within these hero journeys that they figure out a new way to deal with what's going on yes and kind of restore the faith of the older generation yeah no absolutely Basically, I was thinking that it's very interesting because obviously Kylo kills Han because, like, Snoke essentially told him to. Like, Snoke sets that to Kylo as a test. So Kylo feels that he has to pass that test, kill your father, in order to please Snoke and in order to get what he wants. Like, Snoke mm-hmm. essentially sells it to him as do the thing and then, like, we're square. You're totally on the dark side. And obviously that doesn't work because he doesn't get the feeling that he wanted to get from killing his father. So I think, if anything, that will actually weaken his faith in Snoke and make him more likely to disobey him. So like, mm. if he's given another order, so it says, okay, okay, I know killing Han didn't totally work, but now if you kill Rey, then that will totally work and you'll be awesome and completely in the dark side and it'll be great. Like, And I can see if he gets that message, I can see him having doubts about that. And then when he actually faces Ray again in person, then I can see him acting upon those doubts and, and like stopping, like potentially at the last moment, but still stopping and thinking, no, I'm not going to follow this order this time. It's like making the choice that he didn't make with Han. Yeah, I can see them initially having him kind of filled with this need for revenge, right? That he's been personally yeah. humiliated and defeated by someone who didn't really know what she was doing. Yeah. She's literally just discovered her force powers and she discovered them as a result of her interactions with him, which yeah. is like really ironic. He'll channel all that fanboy rage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that kind of folds into this idea of Kylo 
Except his complex character, obviously, but he seems to be inspired and influenced by all of these different archetypes. Mm. Um, we've noticed before, and I think Pablo Hidalgo has alluded to this, that he does kind of embody that that notion of the traditional male fan that like looks to the past, um, reveres Vader, even though yes. he doesn't understand. Like, I thought the purpose of the prequels was to really pull that idea of Vader down. Like, that's what it did for me. It made Vader so tragic and pathetic to me. Yes. I cannot be afraid of Darth Vader anymore. I just feel really, really sad when I think about him. It, like, really deconstructs him, I think. Yeah, he's just a sad, love, love-struck boy in there. That he, You know, but by the time he becomes Vader, he's lost everything that matters to him. It's just so sad. It's not something to look up to. It's not, yes. it's not badass or impressive. It's just really heartbreaking. Yeah. But... I, that's what I love about Star Wars. Well, one of the many things I think it really gets to the heart of these ideas of masculinity and femininity and this false binary that people can have about who a character is. That like mm. Anakin isn't Vader and Vader isn't Anakin. He's both. Like yeah. coming back to that Jungian sense of the the story again and the binary of the light and the dark. Like you can't compartmentalize like that. And that's what Kylo Ren is doing now. He's trying to distance himself from who Ben Solo was, calls him weak and foolish and that he destroyed him. He didn't. He's very plainly still there and Han can see it and we can see it. Yeah. So he, he, for me, like there's all of these jumbled archetypes within him. He's, he has elements of the Byronic hero, um, Gothic anti-villain. There's this idea of, the shadow and that he's Ray's animus, that he's like this wild savage man. Like when he comes towards her stalking toward her on Takadana, yes. it's very much like this animalistic thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a lion prowling almost. Yeah. And if you look at his dynamic with Snoke, that kind of calls to mind this idea of the cursed entitled prince mm-hmm. that you see in a lot of fairy tales. And yeah. um, just one that keeps coming back to mind is like Edmund from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Yes. Like that spoiled boy who gets seduced by the witch. Yeah. Um, and, you know, is told that he's special. Like you explicitly see that in the way Snoke treats Kylo. Yeah. No, and, exactly. and if you look at Kylo's background, he is literally a prince. Um, yeah, I think I think they're kind of laying it on thick with that. Yeah, no, totally. And I think we've mentioned it before, that, but they did originally envisage Snoke as a woman. Yeah. as well which really would fit into that whole Edmund idea because it would literally be him being like seduced by this charismatic old woman who like appeals to like his sense of vanity and entitlement mm-hmm. um yeah like I think they kind of undercut that by having like Snoke be Gollum 2.0 um <laughs> Yeah, I wondered if they changed that just because the dynamic in The Force Awakens is about Snoke versus Han, like mm-hmm. vicariously through Kylo. Yeah. But overall, for the trilogy, I'm wondering how that will factor into Kylo's relationship with Leia, or if that is even going to be explored now. Yeah. I hope it is. I'd hope so, but yeah, I, I have very low expectations when it comes to portrayals of mothers and stars. Yeah, I'm kind of worried that they might just do all that through Luke instead mm-hmm. of Leia. And yeah. Leia will just be left with like the resistance side of things. But we'll see. I think they'll have to acknowledge it to some degree. Because like she's there, it's her son. Her son just killed her husband, the love of her life, his father. Like they can't not acknowledge that. Or at least I'd like to think they can't not acknowledge it, but who knows? They'll yeah, find ways. I, <laughs> I, that's the thing. I'd like to think it too. Mm. But um I don't know. Sometimes my faith in Lucasfilm and its treatment of women is just, <laughs> it's not great. I love <laughs> yes. how jaded we are. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I would love to be proven wrong. 
Yeah, same. But based on the few things we've heard about Leia in episode eight, I'm not going to hold my breath. Yeah. So we don't know anything about episode nine yet. Yeah, exactly. What did you think about the um, like other like archetypes that like Kylo kind of appeals to? Like, I know you've got here that he's kind of like vaguely bar- baronic. Yeah, I mean he's. This is where all these like ideas of him being an emo and all the man pain. <laughs> As if we didn't have Anakin, who was, like, the OG. <laughs> Come on. He's a platonic anti-hero, too. Yeah. Um, it's just almost like Kylo's being set up in the reverse. Because we're coming into Kylo's story almost halfway through his tragic hero's journey, right? He's already yeah. had his, um, not just a fall, but, like, he's accepted the call to the darkness. Yeah. So he, he it's almost like this fallen angel vibe, if you want to go for, like, a Paradise Lost reference. Yeah. That he was with Luke, the holy figure. And then got tempted away and fell. Mm. So we're coming in. At, he's at the lowest point in his cycle. It's like deep in the underworld. <laughs> right. So that's what makes me think that we're going towards redemption. Because otherwise it just kind of swings back the other way. Which I guess they could do. But it would be quite subversive. They could yeah. do that. You know, I'm I'm not, I'm not 100% on redemption. I think it's going that way. But that's just from my understanding of storytelling. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But because of that, it also has like a prodigal son vibe. Mm. like the the bit on the bridge is so heavy with that right yeah but, you know um after all of the terrible things he's done mm. his family just want him back yeah that's what it comes down to yeah and it's so. been a long time since i've like, read bible stories um but like his in the prodigal son isn't the idea that he like does terrible awful things but when he's welcomed back he's treated like an honored guest and like it's all just like love and gratitude and there's like no trace of like all the evil that he's done like it's all just about forgiveness and like reconciliation yeah yeah which i know you know that wouldn't fly with most people in the audience i think kylo is gonna have to suffer yes um but i think he's going to so (laughs) i think you know he's really gonna torture himself about this hand thing i think yeah no exactly it's like a case of well that was in the force awakens so we're not going to address it now like i really think it's going to factor into his journey yeah same i i don't think it's going to be a case of like by the end of episode nine everyone's like sat around a table that down the local cantina and like they're all like laughing and slapping each other on the back (laughs) that was a grand adventure wasn't it oh god ben good great to have you back old chap (laughs) like it 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 won't be like that Um, yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but with the Baronic thing, um, yeah, I don't know if we'll have time for a future episode of this. We probably will because we like to go into quite substantial depth with certain things. But um, Ryan Johnson, when asked by a fan on Twitter if he was reading um, Joseph Campbell in preparation mm-hmm. for episode eight, he said no. But I'm li- I'm revisiting Robert Bly's lectures on the Little Book of the Human Shadow. And Carl Jung's Modern Man in Search of a Soul, which is just generally a really good introduction to his theories. It's a collection of essays. Right. So the Robert Bly stuff is like uh, an artistic application of Jung's ideas. Mm. Um, so I don't know if people are familiar with like the mythopoetic men's movement, but um, kind of as a response to second wave feminism. And it's not like a men's movement in terms of Oh, right, or anything like that. It's mm. more about um, the artificial separation of masculine and feminine qualities within one person. Yeah. Um, that society can often discourage men from expressing their emotions in healthy ways. And I think I alluded to this last week in our discussion. 
Yes. And you can see that so clearly in Kylo in The Force Awakens, right? Yeah. Like, his training explicitly represses his emotion. Like, that's what it's about. Yes. But he, it comes out in these outbursts that he has these tantrums and um, gets so angry at people, but it's really about him getting angry at himself for showing yeah. compassion when he really shouldn't be. Yes. So that's encouraging, I think, that they're going to explicitly refer to these texts that really explore the idea of um, Kylo carrying around this bag. And this is something that Robert Bly talks about, carrying around this bag, dragging it behind him through life and shoving mm. every um, inappropriate or unacceptable emotion yes. into that bag so that he doesn't have to deal with it. And so that society or whoever his peers are or whoever he needs to impress accept him. Yes. So I think we're going to see an unpacking of that bag that he has to accept that he does feel emotion mm. and it's okay. And that we have this overall integration of the masculine and feminine. Yeah. And um, I think that that is representative, not just within Kylo and Rey themselves as individuals, but about their dynamic as a whole. Yes. So I can see that's that where things are going, not necessarily in a romantic way explicitly. Like that's not what I'm focusing on, but that. Mm their dynamic is about people accepting that there is darkness and light and these qualities within them that can be considered masculine or traditionally feminine, whatever that means for the individual. Yes. But that you have to accept the whole self to be at peace with yourself. Yeah. No, I definitely think that's going to be the kind of thing they go for. Like, because with those characters, it's so obvious that their dynamic is so central. And I think it's also really interesting with... Ray and Kylo, the way they are, they're both obviously very different characters in many ways, but they're also really similar at the same time. Mm. Like, and I think it's going to be very much about them coming to appreciate and acknowledge those similarities and like, like the point commonalities they share. Yeah, like, Robert Bly has explicitly talked about humanizing the monster. Like that's yeah. the term that's the term he uses, and he references a lot of um, gothic fiction that mm. I think I've talked about before in previous episodes, things like Frankenstein, um, Jekyll and Hyde, Dorian Gray, Jane Eyre, Wuthering Heights, where there is this like artificial separation of the self into light and dark. Yes. And then by the end, there has to be a, a resolution, whether that's tragic or optimistic in tone. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to be so interesting. Um, so I was thinking it's, it's kind of like you, you have both characters and they're both like about their families obviously very different circumstances. But it's like Adam Driver was saying in his interview, Kylo really, really longs for his family deep down. That's what he secretly wants and craves. And Ray's in the same boat. She just wants her family back. She wants someone to love her. And yeah, like it's interesting. You just see these points again and again. And even down to the costuming, like they have these like same like arm wraps. They have like similar like structures, their costumes. Like I think the costume designer was once asked like, <laughs> are these parallels between the characters' costumes intentional? And he denied it. But I can't help but think that might have been something of a white lie. <laughs> right. Th those similarities, they do seem quite clear to me. Um, but yeah, we all see, I guess. Yeah. Like, I, I just have the opinion that things like costume design and stuff, they are very relevant and there's nothing there that's there by accident. Yeah. And coming back to like these ideas of fan reactions to Kylo, mm. I've seen quite a few people call him a bully mm. which is an interesting idea because when I think of a bully I think of someone who's lashing out at others to cover the fact that they kind of hate themselves 
Mm. That's not about um, shifting the blame off them. Yeah. It's about understanding the causes of something and maybe trying to rehabilitate in some way. Yeah. No, it's so interesting. Like, that's kind of what I appreciate about it the most, like, these psychological, like, elements to these characters. Because I do genuinely think they put a lot of care, like, into the psychology of Kylo Ren. Mm. And that's, like, why we can have these, like, deep conversations about it, because there is substance there. Yeah. Um. And, yeah, there's a lot to, like, unpick and understand. Um, but yeah, is there anything else you wanted to say, Kirsty, or should we like move on and quickly do questions? I think we need to move on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a long episode. Sorry. Right. <laughs> Don't worry, we just enjoy talking about Kylo Ren a bit too much. <laughs> um, right, so we'll move on to questions and do them quickly. Um, if you have questions for the podcast, please send them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. Right, then the first email is from Alyssa. And she says, hey guys, first things first, I love your podcast. It's the subscription I most look forward to popping up on my dashboard now. And hearing such intelligent people analysing the series and articulating so many of the opinions I share gives me many happies. Aww. Aww. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. <laughs> people are so nice. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, anyway, my question is about the string pictures that Ryan Johnson posted on Twitter recently. I know you guys said you thought the Instagram picture he posted is probably just some trolling us desperate nerds. And <laughs> maybe that's true. But the string thing just seemed a lot more specific and that's haha, this could be anything. Have fun figuring it out, suckers to me. I think the thing most of us Raylos at least jumped to first was the red string of fate idea and the implications this could have for Ray and Ren, especially with the weird, almost destined link they seem to have. What were your thoughts on the pictures? Right. Straight away. I want to fess up that I kind of like contributed to a quite a bit of discussion about the pictures of red string <laughs> that Ryan Johnson posted on Twitter. Um, basically, I saw that and someone suggested to me that, oh, it's like the red string of fate. And then I looked it up and like on, on the famous source of knowledge, Wikipedia, and it came up with, like all these days of like destiny and characters like being fated, like to fall in love and like have a shared destiny and all this kind of thing. And I was like, oh my God, it's so Raylo. And like, I basically posted it on my Tumblr. Like I didn't say Raylo confirmed or anything, <laughs> but like I did get quite a bit excited. I was like, oh, what might Ray Ryan mean? And yeah, then basically after that, my bubble was burst a little bit because more rational and calm people than myself pointed out that it was kind of like an in-joke that several Lucasfilm people have been getting into, like whether they'll be posting pictures of string for reasons that still remain rather unfathomable to me since I don't use Twitter much. Um, Kirsty, could you explain a bit more about what Ryan was actually doing with those pictures? I still well, don't understand. <laughs> my understanding of it was that it's like a joke like a play on words that it's the thread of threads like look at this thread you know like you have a twitter thread oh okay right okay so it's more sense that was that was my reading of it um i thought people were just kind of having a bit of fun with like the whole what could it mean thing yes but uh yeah like we're all we're all just desperate for details right now so i completely get why people look into it but i yeah i don't think there's anything there i think this is not star wars related it's like a drought, I think. Like, we are just desperate, like, for um, episode eight, anything. Oh, yeah. Well, you can see every time Ryan posts something, like, you can see people <laughs> from all corners of the fandom going, it means Snoke confirmed as this character. It, most people are just having a joke, right? Yeah. Like, sure. it, because this has been going on for so long now of 
uh, the actors' various social media pages and the directors, and Pablo gets it every day. So I think most people are just having fun with it. Yeah, so. sure. Like, um, I'm personally very guilty of like I look at Ryan's Twitter account, and because I'm so locked into Star Wars mindset, it's almost unfathomable to me that he's like tweeting about things that aren't Star Wars related. <laughs> like, so unless it's really, really clear that it's nothing to do with Star Wars, like when he says Patterson is an awesome film, um, like, and even that's vaguely Star Wars related. Patterson stars Adam Driver, but it is awesome, by the way. You should watch it. Um, yeah, like if it's not clear, then like I am tempted to go to a Star Wars place of it. But yeah, that that's my personal bias talking. Um, but yeah, like just aside from any questions to strings because the short answer is that we don't think it's anything to do with anything and we don't think Ryan was teasing Raylo unfortunately um, we just need to be patient I think when it comes to that but yeah I, I do like the idea of the red string of fate and in the Raylo fandom in particular it's come up a lot as a theme oh yeah have you seen the anthology yes yes so that's gorgeous beautiful. it's amazing um, like the anthology is like this like art project where lots of different artists on Tumblr have come together, and they've all like made pe- linking pieces. Like, and I think the red string of fate is like one of the main visual themes running across the artworks produced. We we could link to that under the the YouTube video if people wanted to see it because it's really gorgeous. Yeah, no, I will. It's really stunning, and it's like a great testament to this is what fandom can achieve, and it's pretty damn spectacular. So yeah, I will find the link. Um, right. Then the next question is from Lady Fallen Gems. It goes, Dear Scavengers, we don't want to rehash the original trilogy, except we must have a Darth Vader. This was in quotes. Do these people not want new villains for the new trilogy? Why does that have to be a Vader clone? So far, Supreme Leader Snoke, Snooky, has been established <laughs> as the Grand Evil, aka the Big Bad of this trilogy, similar to Emperor Palpatine in the prequel and original trilogies. Kylo Ren was advertised as Vader 2.0 from early marketing to his introductory scene in Episode 7, yet for the rest of the movie, Lucasfilm goes out of their way to show how not like Grandpa Vader he is. As much as Kylo would like to be like his dark side badass grandfather, it seems like he's never going to be quite that. Kylo Ren's character trajectory may be a different tragic villain, or some sort of redemption arc, in my opinion, Grey Jedi Endgame. We also have other new antagonists, Hux, Phasma, the Knights of Ren, and whatever kind of villain Benicio Del Toro is playing, and probably more to come. My question for you is, what kind of villains would you like to see this trilogy? So, Kirsty, what kind of villains would you like to see? I would really like to see a villain from the Republic side of things. Mm. Because you kind of get hints at that from Bloodline. Yeah. Um, Is it Lady Carice? Is that her name? Yes. I thought she was great. I liked her, yeah. I, I don't think we'll see her exactly in the in the movies, but um, maybe someone in that that vein, like someone who's quite detached from the the real suffering that's going on in various mm-hmm. corners of the galaxy and is kind of corrupt. And I wonder if Laura Dern's going to be that kind of character, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not sure if she's going to be like a villain, mm. but it's too hard to tell. Like she could be. Like we haven't really see- received an awful lot of information on her besides what she looks like and that she'll be involved in the resistance to some capacity mm. but it would be really interesting wouldn't it to have that like that corrupt figure come in and try to control things on the resistance side so that it kind of muddies the waters a little bit yeah no definitely yeah i'd like adam that. adam driver's been making these comments lately that like both sides are wrong but mm. equally sure that they're right yeah 
Um, and I really do think that books like Bloodline and Lost Stars are kind of going for that explicitly in the new canon. Yeah. And I know that The Force Awakens kind of presents things in a very black and white way, but that's because it's the first film in a trilogy. Yeah. Like, that's what it does. It kind of sets the stage. And then later you find out that things are more murky and complicated than they first appeared. Yeah. And that, that goes on an individual character level, but also for the wider politics plot. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing I'd, I'd like to see. Not someone who's like instantly appears evil because they look ugly or like cackle. <laughs> But there's something more insidious going on that it really shows this like dark underbelly of the Republic. Yeah, there's and maybe yeah. explains why the First Order came about. Yeah, definitely. I think Krennic's more likely to be our like um, I love being evil guy. <laughs> like um, like I think he's quite intelligent, but I do think he enjoys being bad at the same time. Yeah, I'm sure you have a different perspective on Krennic because you're reading Catalyst, and I'm sure he's much more nu- nuanced than I make him seem from my like impression based on trailers yeah but he's still in that very calculating way you know? yeah like, he knows what he's doing yeah he, he's not like much of a gray character would that be fair to say yeah like he's nuanced and interesting but you know he's bad <laughs> yeah no exactly i bet that makes it funny that galen galen doesn't really realize <laughs> right <laughs> it's like, come on you're meant to be intelligent man um but yeah uh the kind of villain i'd like to see yeah i would like to see someone from the republic end definitely um, like, and I also kind of like the idea that if um, what happens with Kylo, like, happens kind of like how I'd like to see it happen, where he does move more towards the light, and like potentially he and Ray like rebel and like run off like from their masters. They're going kind of like, no, screw you, we're finding another way. Um, I'd almost like to see Snoke pull out like another dark sider out of his proverbial hat, like, and maybe that's Benicio del Toro. Like mm. playing both sides or something, um, like and then he's like dispatched after Kylo to like bring it, drag him back to Snoke, um, so, like I do kind of like, <laughs> I like my complex villains, but also like a dark side badass. You know yeah, I, mean? well, so. I think that's where a lot of the frustrations come from with Kylo's character, right? That a yeah. lot of people really wanted that from him, didn't quite <laughs> get it, and either understand that that's what the writers were intentionally going for, and yeah. they're disappointed in that. Or they think that it was just not a very well executed character. Yeah. Um, so there is kind of this gap because I, you know, we find Star Wars really interesting because of this nuanced characterization and like what's going to happen. But it, it also was quite simplistic storytelling at times, and you can have these um, more one dimensional characters. Like there's a place for them. Yes, exactly. So. Yeah, it's like I love Kylo. Obviously, we've just been talking about him for like an hour. <laughs> um, but at the same time. Like, I totally understand, like Kirsty says, where people are coming from this desire for, like, more straightforward, like, intimidating dark side character. And I think there's room to have that kind of character going forward. So, yeah, that'd be the kind of character I'd quite like to see come in. Yeah, because at first I thought that might be Phasma, but face on, <laughs> on The Force Awakens, I think I'm going to struggle to take her seriously going forward. <laughs> Which is such a shame, because Gwendolyn's great. She is yeah. completely wasted. They- they keep on saying, oh, she's got a bigger role in episode eight, but I almost just don't want that now. It's like, no, it's just embarrassing. Move on. <laughs> I feel bad for Gwendolyn. It's not her fault. It's just, it's such a nothing character, you know? Yeah. It, it's not even that it's just a case of, oh, they're just a bland baddie. It's that straight up incompetent. She... Right. That, you know, you're heading up the Stormtrooper program. And like we said at the beginning, you just fold like that for the sake of some comic relief. Yeah. I, I don't know. 
it's really bad representation for women. So, like, bless Gwendolyn. Whenever she talks about Phasma, she acts like she's this amazing, like, role model who's, like, transforming the role of women in Star Wars. Like, and bless her, it's, like, her place to, like, big up her character and promote the movie and stuff. Good, good on her. But it's, like, your character is totally lame. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not good. Yeah. There, there is this gap for decent female villains, and that's definitely like a sexist, gendered thing that goes on. Yeah, like this totally. idea that women have to be put up on pedestals. I see a lot of that in the idea that Ray can't ever go dark side. Yeah, because she's a role model for little girls, and yeah. heaven forbid. We need to um, have a whole episode about that. 100%. Yeah, it's like you haven't watched the Clone Wars, right? <laughs> oh me. Yeah, I've watched like five episodes. I'm okay, sorry. so well, Asajj Ventress is a big part of the Clone Wars, and yeah, I've seen that she's... character. Right, and she's also in Dark Disciple, which is a great book. I'd recommend that one. Okay. Um, yeah, like they're just kind of missing that that cool, and and she's still nuanced, you know. Mm. Um, but there there is this like, I guess that's why they had Phasma in the first place. It was like, yeah, we're gonna have a female villain. That's pretty groundbreaking. Yeah. But it's only groundbreaking if you actually do a great job with the character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it's just a bit awkward and embarrassing. Yeah, it's so. just lip service. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think we should move on to our final question, which is from Ali. And it goes, Hi, ladies. I think you're both doing a wonderful job on the podcast. I've been really enjoying it. Hot symbol. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Here's a question I'd be interested in hearing both of your perspectives on. On a popular YouTube video I recently watched, it details the Easter eggs that are present in The Force Awakens. One that caught my attention is that apparently the rebel helmet we see Rey place on her head in the beginning of the film has the name Rey written on it on the side. Rey spell R-A-E-H. The video goes on to theorise that Rey may have named herself based on that name. What do you guys think about this theory? Um, Kirsty, didn't you say Pablo had tweeted something about this recently? I think he has at some point. Um, I don't have it to hand, so I can't say for sure. Yeah. But so yeah, there's this idea that Ray might not be her real name, but um, I like the idea of there being all these Easter eggs that people can go back for and like have fun exploring. But um, this is the kind of thing I'm not sure how they would actually explain if it were to be the case, like mm-hmm. in in story. Yeah. Because unless you had like a flashback or something to like Ray holding the helmet, and you got the audience to notice again that it said Ray on it. Yeah. I'm guessing like 99% of people did not pick up on that. I certainly didn't when I was watching it. Yeah. So it's a question of like how much exposition would there be to explain that that that's how that happened, that she gave herself that name. Yes. So until proven otherwise, I'm just going to assume that Ray is her real name. Yeah. Like, no, so. that's my inclination as well. Um, so I think she's like meant to be about five when she ended up in Jakku. And like I have a four-year-old niece, and she a hundred percent knows her own name. Right. And we have been told that Ray is not like Ray's been like had her mind tampered with or anything. Mm-hmm. We've been told that if she doesn't remember anything, it's just because she was a small child at the time. So like naturally, they have faulty memories. But she would know her own name, and yeah, like I. So I, I do think Ray is likely to be her real name, but at the same time, I'm, I'm very open to the idea that it's not. Like I think that's very possible, and I, I do find it intriguing that there's that element there, and they do make a point of labeling the helmet in that way. I think it's also um, worth noting that Ray, like in variations on it, it, se- it seems to be like quite a common name across mm-hmm. the galaxies. There's also um, a Ray Sloan. Yeah, Ray Sloan. 
um, like his character from the books, I believe. Um, yeah, she's an aftermath. Yeah, and and yeah, she's so, a great female villain, actually. Yeah, no, like bring <laughs> her in. Um, like they actually um in the Galactic Atlas, they have like a little little portrait of her, and it kind of made me squee because the actress they used as the reference for the portrait was Nikki Amuka Bird, who's oh. a great um British actress, and she was this like badass lady space captain in Jupiter Ascending. Oh, so cool. I was like, yes. It's like, so I hope that if they ever have Ray Sloan in the movies, they cast Nikki. Because she, she's also a really good actress. She's been in other stuff too. Um, yeah, so it's a bit of a tangent. <laughs> um, but yeah, they are, they're going for this idea where Ray is quite a common name. So I'm guessing it's kind of like the Claire of the galaxy far, far away. Um, but yeah, who knows? Yeah, some people were speculating that it might turn out that her real name is Kira because I know that was a code name. Mm. in production but i think pablo's debunked that as well yeah because it's not the kind of like they they put that quite openly out in things like the art of the force awakens book yes so if it was going to turn out to be part of the future plot it would have been a heavily guarded secret yeah no that was my thought as well i don't think they'd be um quite so open about kira having been her name in pre-production if it was going to come up again yeah it doesn't really make much sense um right we all done yes i think so okay great well then, this has been yet another episode of Scavengers Horde. We hope you've enjoyed it very much. <laughs> we have enjoyed recording it. Um, oh, oh yeah, um, I think I saw one of our listeners like sh- they noticed that I like to sing um, because obviously that's important and I, and I do it a lot. Um, and like I noticed that there's and they actually suggested that I sing the Life Day song. Oh. Uh, uh, Star, the Star Wars Holiday Special I won't sing the whole Life Day song mostly because I don't have musical accompaniment but I, I would like to do one line okay. <laughs> okay are you ready Kirsty? I am Okay. a day of peace a day of hope a day of harmony uh... yeah. <laughs> and it stops there beautiful Thank you. I, I hope you enjoyed that, everyone, as much as I enjoyed seeing it. I've never actually seen the holiday special. I think I'm going to watch it this year. <laughs> it's really funny. You should watch it on Christmas Day. It's a great bonding experience with loved Maybe. ones. Maybe. Yeah. It's like the same experience where you'll like undergo like a, something horrible together and then like it draws you closer together. Is it really that bad? It really is very bad, yeah. But, like, but bad in a good way, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I think okay. it's bad in a fun way. Like yeah. to, to be fair, if you. If you've seen like cheesy seventies like variety TV shows, it will be more palatable to you because you will understand like what it is. Right. Like it is a seventies variety TV show much more than it's anything to do with Star Wars. Exactly. So yeah. just go into it with that mindset and you'll probably get a lot more out of it. <laughs> um, right, but yeah, I am Rachel. You can find me on Tumblr at Star Wars Nonsense and on WordPress at Journal of the Star Wars. Kirsty? I'm on Tumblr at Bastilla Bay and Twitter at Scavengers Horde if people want to follow us there and come and discuss all things Star Wars with us. Place to be. And also, if you want to help us, please find us on iTunes and give us a review and you will be eternally in our gratitude. So thank you very much, everyone. And tune in next week for our Rogue One review episode should be very yes. exciting indeed yeah i can't believe we're literally like less than a week away from rogue one that's bonkers. i know i still don't quite i haven't, I haven't quite grasped it i know I don't so think it's, 
it's going to be like when I'm sat in the cinema, we're like, oh my God, new Star Wars movie. It's happening, it's happening. <laughs> it's going to be strange. But we'll have to be careful not to hyperventilate. Um, <laughs> right, okay. Bye, everyone. Thanks, bye. Bye.